Welcome to Dig Deeper with Danny and Jade. JD. Um, today we actually have a very special guest, um, someone who I first met and only know basically at the moment through, we used to work together in the Vision Network. Uh, this person is, I'm assuming, an amazing son and brother, um, but, but in terms of his career aspects and what I know of him, he came into the Vision Network as a trainer, um, within a short period of time became a fr franchise owner and a successful franchise owner at that, slowly moved his way into Vision Headquarters and then actually became the general manager of Vision Personal Training, the first and only ever to this day General Manager of Vision PT, James, welcome. Thank you guys, yeah, what an intro. Thank you. Appreciate it. You're very welcome. <laughs> so, you obviously had a pretty rapid rise within Vision, mm -hmm. okay, so we'll definitely start there if that's okay with you. Now, you are someone who has gone to private schools from the wealthy mm -hmm. suburbs of Sydney, <laughs> so becoming a PT is kind of like slumming it a little bit. So, is it? Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. For someone of a... Uh, hybrid school and things like that and probably a, i'm assuming he's got a degree or something so coming to the pt world at that level is very different so what brought you in and what did your family think yeah that's actually a great question um it's come up a couple of times but not too many people um have asked me that so yeah it's, it's, it's an interesting story because that is to a, certainly to a great degree what happened um the way i first sort of became involved as a pt was actually um in a an unqualified sense i was um in I think year 11 or year 12 um, and I lived about 200 meters from a school in Rose Bay called King Coppel Girls School uh, and I had um, friends there. Shout out King Coppel! Shout out King Coppel girls, yeah. Um, <laughs> and some girls in my year reached out to me and asked me to be their personal trainer and of course I was still Ooh, at school, I wasn't, wow. I wasn't qualified. Don't Holy worry, sugar. It's, not as, it's not as exciting for me as it sounds. Um, so what uh, happened there, I, was, I took it quite seriously um, and I prepared, as you can imagine, yeah. and, and tried to do, and basically was trying to replicate the um, sporting activities I did at school. So the rugby training exercises and what have you. I started to do these, these three King Cobble girls who asked me to, um, to take them on as clients. And I had no idea what I was doing, of course, um, but I thought it was good. Anyway, I noticed a couple of weeks into the process, they weren't really paying much attention to the training and they constantly wanted to take breaks. Mm -hmm. um, and I was acting like I was an Olympic coach um, and they weren't really interested. And I was like, what's the point of this? And I was giving them the, the, the Braveheart style speeches <laughs> to get them going. Is this uh, um, on pre-workout or without pre-workout? This is no pre-workout. Wow, okay. I wasn't aware of it at that time. Um, but yeah, so they were always asking me, you know, let's take a break. And during the breaks, they kept asking me about um, other guys in, the year, in my year at Scott's. <laughs> And, I, and after a while, I just noticed that a trend of the questions and, and after probably about two or three months of this very um, not ineffective, ineffective um, personal training. training, they it sort of came became obvious to me that what they were doing is they were asking me about certain guys to get a sense of um, who they were going to take to formal. So oh what the whole point of the training was, was potentially to get slightly more fit. Um, but if really, it was just about getting the inside word on mm. who was going to ask them to form and who they should invite. Are you to kidding me? Form. No, I'm 100% serious. So they were doing um, that to get information on who they wanted to take to the They were just the Scots boys. Yeah, really? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, at first, That's how I, I remember it. What the hell? So, I was going to yeah. be like, maybe they had me. a crush on you. No, see, this is the thing. If <laughs> I was one of the, the guys they were entertaining, I'm sure they wouldn't have asked me to take on the gig. So, um, yeah, at that point I realized um, that um, not all personal training is about the exercise, <laughs> which continued on as a theme for the rest of my career. Um, but, yeah, anyway, so what happened then was when I went to university, as you mentioned, um, I was studying economics. 
uh, which was what I was good at school. So that made sense um, to pursue that. And as most people do at university, they're looking for a, a job of some sort. Mm. Um, and stereotypically, people who work at a cafe or a, a bar or nightclub outside of hours mm. that you're at university, so morning or nights. Um, and because I'd already done a couple of you know, personal training gigs, I thought I'll become a personal trainer. So I did an online course at night. Um, and yeah, took up PT as just a union job. It was never the plan to stay in the health and fitness industry. And uh, yeah, so then... Um, when I uh, finished the course, I remember um, I uh, submitted a job application and Dave Westcorn, um, shout out to Dave. Have you uh, been in Vision for that long? Yeah, he was the manager at Vision Bondi. That's when you went into there? Yes. Oh, yeah, so about I had no idea. Yeah, I submitted wow. my application soon after becoming qualified and it was, it was no more than one minute, maybe two minutes after hitting submit that Dave Westcorn was on the phone. He said, can you come in for an interview tomorrow? Wow. And I started a few days later, so... Uh, yeah, that was basically the plan um, to do that whilst I was finishing university. Speed up, answer your question. Um, once no I speed up. It's <laughs> <laughs> just keep Yeah, man. We got to the, the pre-workout. Um... <laughs> the pre-workout. I'm speaking really fast. The pre-workout before we started today. <laughs> yeah, and he's highly pumping. recommend. Just, it's all yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. No Slowing now. Uh, so it was never a plan to continue on the fitness industry. It was just a university yeah. job. Although I started enjoying, you know, wearing tracksuit pants and. Um, joggers and things like that so uh, yeah when university finished I thought as you said okay now I need to move on and actually get a real real job Mm -hmm. um, get rid of the sneakers Uh, but I was ruined from a career perspective from that time in the in the in the sneakers so yeah there was pressure there once I had um, uh, you know left actually left Vision Bondi um, to go on and move into so a when you said there was pressure there was there pressure from your family pressure I, it was never directly said to me yeah. and perhaps my that was, wasn't what my parents were thinking but I thought that's what they were thinking mm. so maybe it was an implied pressure um, that maybe PT that even, was not maybe a it was long, just the pressure of yourself thinking could quite yeah and as you say it's just a maybe a society thing yeah. like going into you know you're, you're studying economics at you know Sydney University yeah. um, I was at a, a prestigious college yeah, there very. which I didn't enjoy but um, prestigious college and you know Choosing a seventeen dollar an hour job doesn't seem to align with mm. that. Um, so yeah, I you know, did you find that very conflicting as well? Yeah, I, I I found from an ego perspective that that I often used the word um, just in front of PT, and I even did that more recently oh, as well. Yeah. It's like um, I'm just doing PT mm. until or as a way of getting to. Mm. Um, and it took my, myself a while to get past that to say, oh, you know, it is a means to an end in itself. It doesn't always need to have a higher goal. Yeah. Um, it's something worthy of, of your time to be helping people. Uh, so that took me a little while to, you know, say I'm doing PT without necessarily, oh, I'm just doing it to it reach is, this. It is yeah. embarrassing being introduced as a personal trainer. I don't know why. Yeah. Why? I, I know when I get when I used to go to these business meetings and things like that. That's why I I tell you don't tell them what I do because I mm. I just find that um, I think there's a stigma to it and people don't understand it. And I know I'm not that park PT that maybe I think they're thinking about. You know, like what's the stigma though? I know what you're that saying. You, yeah. What is it? That you're not very valuable, maybe. I'm not really sure. What is it? Do you think? Yeah, I think there's a few things from my perspective. There's the the length of qualification is not particularly long um, and I think some people then look at that and go oh, okay it's not that hard to become one therefore right. it doesn't take that long potentially right. um, although I will say the difference between becoming one on paper and actually becoming a good one is a big difference yep. 
Um, I think anyone who's been in the industry would recognize that. So I think that was part of it. Mm. Um, And I think there's a stereotype around, you know, the average personal trainer Mm. um, and what they look like. Especially um, now that the stereotype has changed so much. Yeah. It's not just someone that was really, it's not someone Mm. just into training. Now it's someone that's really good looking or as in Zoolander, really, 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 really good looking. Yeah. You know, like that's what the stereotype of a PT is now. If, If they're really good looking, they must be good. Yeah. Definitely. Oh, wow. That's the stereotype okay. now. Yeah. Wow. It doesn't matter if they can help you or not. If they look good, yeah, mm. I'll, I'll pay whatever they need. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But there was still that pressure, as you, as, as you alluded to, and that's why I left Vision mm-hmm. Bonai originally, because of that pressure to move into, you know, the finance banking um, type area, which was always my, my plan was. And thankfully, um, I suppose thankfully, no, definitely thankfully, um, one of the trainers called me when I was sitting on a bench um, in North Sydney, um, doing financial services, not enjoying life. And he said, you know, do you want to come back? Um, so that was Malcolm um, Turnbull. He was a long-term mm-hmm. trainer there at Vision Bondi. He said, you know, do you want to come back? And I had it in my mind then straight away. I was like, okay, well, if I say yes to this, I've got to come back with a bit more um, of a, a plan or a, how I'm going to go about it. Yeah. You know? And that was, and so that was sort of the idea was to come back and, you know, become a business owner and, um, you know, pursue some other things um, in the fitness industry yeah. that, you know, sort of utilize some of my other study. Um, from an economics or business perspective on top of the training. So that was how I, I guess I justified it to myself. And then later on, how I told my mum, I was like, yeah, I'm going back, but I'm going to try to do this. That, that, <laughs> that makes so much sense because yeah. I didn't know your background. And so when I think about your time, particularly when I had the most involvement with you as a general manager, some of the cool things that you innovated in terms of our stats in particular was creating, were you part of the vision dashboard? Was that yep. part of your creation as well? Yep. That's um, phenomenal because what that does Someone like me, I actually like data, but I don't like having to go look for it. Yeah. So what that did for, for someone like me is that every time I log on, I could see this dashboard and it had all these key data stats and it made it really enjoyable to watch. Like sometimes your stats are really bad, but at least it's right there. There's actually no excuse to avoid that. Right. Yeah. And one of the things I found, like at first when you became general manager, and we'll get to that point, but in terms of how I felt when you became general manager, I was like, oh, here we go. I thought it was just uh, another company yes man told yep. the line, honestly. Yep. And I sure, didn't think sure. I would see much difference at all. And I was, I was always very skeptical. So mm-hmm. we can say that. Can I ask what, it, what was it that you weren't enjoying about the financial services environment? Yeah, um, I think what I really enjoyed about the, the personal training studio environment was just the camaraderie. You know, you're, right. there's, it's very social. Um, yeah. I'm not a social person. I'm an introverted person by nature. So I think the idea of becoming um, close or certainly on a first name basis and getting to know, you know, give or take 200 people on yeah. a reasonably close um, sense and, and walking into somewhere each morning where people would say hello to you and you felt welcome for me was a, a really nice thing mm-hmm. um, because I'm not someone who would probably go out and create that environment mm. um but then being part of it I, I really sort of felt at home and then yeah. going to an environment that was not about that really right. at all um i felt that mm. you know i think we all need to put ourselves in situations that um challenge um what we're how we naturally are mm. so if you're introverted i think sometimes it's good to be in situations that sort of force you to be a little bit more extroverted around people and, and vice versa um so mm. i think that was a big part of it for me mm-hmm. and also the other part was um, although, as you say, I do enjoy the data and the metrics and the stats and that sort of thing, I find that I enjoy it when I can apply the data to human beings. Right. Looking at numbers just for the sake of numbers, um, I get a little bit lost in. Mm. Um, if it's numbers about um, how that's affecting, you know, for example, staff retention, 
I can put that together in my mind about how that's going to have a real world impact on yeah. um, trainers' lives or so franchise translational, lives. Yeah. having yeah, some sort of a translation from the numbers into practice. Yeah, yeah. I'm the same. Yeah. 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 Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So when you both look at numbers, do you kind of see a story? I do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, that was, yeah, yeah I, I tried to. Like, that was the thing about um, mm-hmm. franchise meetings that I always tried to do was try to find an issue mm-hmm. um, that I thought, I believe there was an issue, sort of like coming up with a hypothesis of something that was a problem in the network and then going searching for the data around it. Mm-hmm. Um, to back that. Yeah, like, to, either, to either back yeah. it up or to prove myself wrong or yeah. to highlight the issue with franchise owners. I think particularly in a franchise network, um, getting up there and saying, I, as you say, you know, going to company line or being a yes man and saying mm. everyone needs to do ABC. Mm. <clears throat> Most people are going to question your motives um, in a franchise company because that's sort yeah. of the nature of the relationship. I definitely did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which is why I went with the data yeah. because people don't believe me, but if I put numbers up there, to look at the numbers. Numbers um, don't lie. That's right. Yeah. So that was sort of always my way of... However, um, you can select numbers to make it That's lie. true. You, you, you can. You can. Yeah. They, yeah. Yeah. they don't have to be altered to be altered. <laughs> yeah. You can, sure. tell, you can tell very different yeah. stories with the same number. That's true. Just true. Which, I, as you say, is where the dashboard was probably a cool thing because it was permanently there. Yeah. And it was there mm. for the franchise owner to be able to access it at any time. Um, and... Yeah, it was the first iteration. I'm, I'm sure it's come a long way since mm-hmm. that time. But yeah, that was sort of my strategy is from a franchise connection yeah. perspective is to put those those things out there. That was a big leap forward, I think. Mm. That was a big leap forward. Yeah. I think in any business, you want to have a data, data-driven decision-making as best as possible. Otherwise, it's just some person at the top who's got a gut feeling, which may mm. be right sometimes, may be wrong As sometimes. opposed to being emotional or rational. Anyone, have you ever yeah. watched Billions before? Billions, yeah, yeah. love it. So Axel, he's, <laughs> yeah. he's just all about, I fucking know, man. Yeah. I know what's happening, I can yeah. feel the market. And then yep. in one of the later episodes, he was completely off. An incident mm. happened, it, it messed up his perspective yeah. and he was off. And yeah. It, and he cost the company like $5 billion. Yeah. He didn't go to the data, you know? Mm. And I think for him, a lot of those, the gut thing and in business in general, experience allows people to have a, a credibility with their gut. So if you've been in yeah. the top of a company for a number sense, of years yeah. um, and you start saying, you know, you're going with your gut, then people will buy into that because you've got a proven track record of success. For me as a, you know, what was I, 28 or 27 year old general manager of a company with a bunch of other franchise owners, similar age, so people are gonna go, why would we listen to this guy's yeah, gut? Like totally. he's barely out of the fetus. Totally. Like, what, what, so, um, what, you know, for me, again, well, I had no credibility in that sense. So for go me, with, though, go it was never numbers. a youth thing. No, no, I never, no, I totally understand If someone's that, talented yeah. enough, yeah. I'll, I'll take orders. Yeah. So for me, it was never yeah. a youth thing. It was more of like, who, who the fuck does this guy think he is? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like... Oh, I felt it. Me, Not from you, but just in general. Yeah. I was aware of it. <laughs> I, I never yeah. actually exuded that onto you. I was, sure. Like, yeah. anyone that's coming into the role, I'm always going to give them my best. Yeah. And I'm going to help them mm. to support whatever thing they're trying to create. Until I feel like it's not working... Yeah. Or I don't trust them. Mm. And the reason I was so behind you pretty much very, very early on is that there was a very strong credibility test, okay? And you know, you probably don't even remember this, but I remember it. Mm-hmm. So for, for, for many years within our vision network, um, to become a franchise owner, there was always these metrics held up. Okay, if you want to own a studio as a trainee, you need to meet X, Y, Z. It never really mattered. You wanted a studio, you got a studio. It didn't, make, didn't matter if you met the metrics or not. Same as a franchise owner, if you want to open a second or third, there's these metrics put up, but they're never held to account. Mm-hmm. So they just went away. Okay, so weaker people got in. That, and to be honest, I benefited from those metrics not being implemented. It, it allowed me to, to, to get ahead. Okay, but for the most part, it's probably not a good thing. 
I remember with you, uh, prior to you becoming general manager when you were in HQ, I was part of the first leadership council. Really easy to get on. Just had to apply. I got on. <laughs> awesome. And with that first experience, you weren't actually a key figurehead at that time. You were like more of an offsider to our, our company director and there was a couple of people there. But I felt very disillusioned with that because I was allegedly there to put my voice forward and make my suggestions felt. And I just, I knew that anything we said, particularly those Alex was our head chairperson, she was ripping her heart out trying to, generally from her soul, trying to make things improve. And she just kept getting pushed back, pushed back, pushed back. And I disconnected. I disconnected from her. I disconnected from the whole thing because I saw it was bullshit, right? But when you had come back in as general manager, I wanted to be a part of it again because I wanted to, to, to support you. <clears throat> and when you got my credibility, it was when you actually knocked me back because <clears throat> I said, hey, JD, I want to do this with you. Let's, I want to put my name forward. And he sent me an email back, like maybe 30 minutes, 40 minutes later, he goes, look, DC, thank you so much for that, but unfortunately, I can't accept you. Your stats, you know, these key criteria, your star scores here, I just can't bring you on. It's not the standard that we want to, we want to get. And you said, sorry, but I actually replied back and I said, mate, you know, I'm sorry that I put you in that position to have to say no to me, you know? And, and what that made me do, that actually put a, a, mm. a very gentle boot up my bum in a big way to understand that this guy is serious. And if I want to make a big impact, I've got to perform. And right from there, man, like I knew you were someone credible. Mm. And I knew that you had a lot to offer and I was always going to, I was going to support you. And I, and I enjoyed, yeah. I enjoyed, I enjoyed my time under your leadership. I really, really did. I felt you brought people, one of your gifts that you had, whether it was a pre-workout or whatever, <laughs> you, you brought people closer. Now, to be honest, I've heard many different things about the performance of the network at that time. But the only thing I know is that I felt super fucking close to everyone. And I felt good about what we're doing. And that's, I haven't had that feeling for a very long time. And you did that, man. So from my, from my perspective, thank you for that. Thanks, DC. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't remember that exact email. <laughs> um, but All right. granted, there were lots of emails. I about the conversation that we had. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah. We can't wait so when you one, went man. back to Bondi, what happened after that? This, okay. So you're still a trainer yeah, yeah, at this yeah. point. Sure. Right? Uh, yeah, I went back to Bondi. Um, and then from it, I had the goal of, um, I guess, climbing the ladder and moving up, yeah. moving into management, um, which was part of the reason I came back. I think uh, it was mentioned to me by Malcolm that the manager was there at the time wasn't exactly excelling mm-hmm. um, and there was some opportunity and the owner at the time Scott he um, he gave me a couple of little um, you know <coughs> bites of oh well there's two or three things over here not getting done if you want to have a go which as franchise owner we've all I think we've all done you know you, give them a you say you give people a chance um, which is probably I guess the main thing that when we talk about I guess my journey from trainer to the general manager role something um, and I think it's probably more of a, an anxiety thing for me necessarily that I'm some motivated person is just the anxiousness of wanting to do a good job because mm-hmm. I didn't want to let people down was that when he gave me those one or two things um, for either a very small amount of pay or or no pay I can't exactly remember 10 years ago but um, very small pay very small pay or yeah, zero exactly. pay yeah. <laughs> um, I tried to do more than what was requested right. um, and I think after a couple of weeks of doing you know my one or two things that I tried to do better than uh, maybe make it a third thing then I was given the next sort of um, the next role, which was mm. to be the manager of Bondi, um, and that that path was basically how every the next step evolved continuously. So I was the manager. Um, Scott was looking to move on um, as a franchise owner. 
Um, I had no money, which made it difficult <laughs> to buy a business when you have no money. But, you know, as, as we know, you can still make it work if you've got, um, you know, the will to do it. So that was a process in itself. Um, again, coming back to the um, discussion about the family upbringing in, you know, mm. the wealthy part of town. Like I remember meeting with um, a family accountant um, because I thought, okay, I'll, um, I've got no money. I'll just go to see, you know, the family accountant and he'll, he'll some magically make money appear and I'll be able to buy the business <laughs> from that. And after about 10 minutes, he was like, oh, so it's a gym. And I was like, yeah, it's a gym, personal training studio. And he's like, okay, so gym. And I'm like, okay, so didn't understand mean. what it was. Yeah. And um, I t- yeah, it was probably a five or 10 minute discussion. And he uh, looked at my mum and he's like, no way, um, yeah. not advising you to do it. Wow. And so she, you know, obviously you take the professional advice. She's like, I'm, of course. I'm not going to give you any money. And I was like, okay. Um, <clears> so then I'm <laughs> acting as guy. I was like, oh, a bit of a problem. I've got no money. He's like, okay, that's this, there's this other thing, you know, there's Bendel Finance. And I was like, oh, what's that? Um, so anyway, went down that path. You're one of the few to, 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 to survive a business relationship yeah. with Scott Kaplan. Yeah. Well. <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyway, yeah, that was the, that was the process. And um, mm. the, the, the nature of Bendel Finance, for anyone who knows it or doesn't know much about it, is that um, at the beginning of it, when you're paying it off, you haven't taken on much risk because if you don't make it work, you haven't lost that much. Right. Um, but as you, you pay off more and more of the business over time, you assume more and more of the risk because mm. if you can't make a repayment, um, that person can take the whole business back and right. you've spent four years paying it off. So yeah, you take on more risk over time. Mm-hmm. Um, and anyway, the business did well um, after I um, took it over. And the, the key success factor there was that we started to develop a long-term team. Yeah. Um, we had an average trainer stay of, uh, you know, in excess of three, four years. Wow. Um, and it was it was probably, you know, the key four or five guys. Um, I remember Andrew um, saying one of the things I learned at Vision is that, uh, that I think is correct is that you have the core team of four or five and you're always going to have those casual sort of employees that come in and out for, mm. say, a six-month period, you know, yeah. the, the satellite trainers sort of revolving. They come in, they you know, they do six months good work and they leave. And that's cool. There's nothing wrong with that. You're never going to have a team of, uh, 100% of your team being there for three years. I don't mm. think that's, you know, the way the industry works. But if you've got four or five that stay for that long and then you have the ones who come in and they're awesome yeah. for six to nine months and they leave, that was sort of the, the plan there. And, and we, you know, through luck or whatever it was, managed to do that. Um, and so the business grew. And then the next thing that happened basically mm. was, and this is probably one of the things I, I mean, it worked out well for me, but I, at the same time I look at and shake my head is I was asked to do the, the management when you, you've had a good year in the, in the, yeah. the business, people will you know, you come and tell quick. your story yeah. um, and you think you know everything because you've had one good year in business, which is ridiculous <laughs> when you look back at it. But um, it's what people want to do. It's like, oh, tell us what works. And it's like, you've had one good year. Like, <laughs> it doesn't mean anything. But anyway, I was asked to speak and talk about what that one good year entailed um, at the presenting at SMT yeah. um, mm-hmm. as, a, as someone who's had a good year sort of thing. Um, and after that, they led to the job offer. Um, at head office in a part-time wow. capacity, um, which I think from memory was just a... You had kind of a, to go back a little bit, yeah, though, you had sorry, a two-part sorry. career as a franchise owner. So you were uh, a shareholder franchise owner, so yep. you shared the business with someone. Yes. So what was that like being in partnership with someone? I know you had quite a few challenges. Would you do that part again in that same manner? Ah, uh, so yeah, the, the, I've had, ooh, one, two, I've had a three sort of different business partnerships in my time. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, mixed results. I don't have anything uh, against partnerships per se. I think even though I've learned a lot about what works, what doesn't work. Yeah. Um, and so I think they can work, but the key thing for me, so that first one at Vision Bondi, um, when I bought 
of um, yeah. Scott that I took over 70% and there was an existing 30% mm. shareholder. Um, he and I, his name's James as well, still get on really, really well. Um, like as, as, you know, human beings, we get yeah. on terrifically well. I spoke to him a few weeks ago, just, you know, and we still have a laugh about silly stuff and the, yeah. there's mm-hmm. never been any issue between us. The business just wasn't right for him at that right. time. There's just personal stuff for him. Um, that meant he needed to leave Sydney. So it wasn't, it was no, uh, yeah, like conflict at all between the two of us. He just needed to leave town, which just meant that I needed to find a way of um, taking over his 30%. Yeah. Um, so there was no, and that was probably the least prepared I was for business partnership. Um, and ironically, it actually ended the best because I think <laughs> we got on really well as, as people. Yeah. Um, and we were very different. He was more have a laugh. I was more, stop laughing, we need to take this more seriously. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So we sort of played off each other and anytime I would get too serious, he would just start, you know, laughing and that was probably good for me to have that yin to the yang. Yeah, a bit of balance. Um, yeah, so there was that and then that the other ones. Bit. Yeah, baby, you're my yeah. yin. <laughs> <laughs> I'm <Who's your> yin. <laughs> Okay, yeah. Um, but the other, I think the big thing for um, business partnerships that potentially haven't gone so well is, um, and what I've learned about them is other than, you know, having the legalities and all that sort of stuff sorted, which I know a lot more about now, is the expectations piece. So that's the, and I know you mentioned that um, in your discussion with Dean Williams on that, mm-hmm. that session there, but um, probably from my perspective, it's, it's about, um, you know, what, like financially expectations, like after how many months are you expecting to take money out? Mm-hmm. You know, some a person might be expecting to start a business and three months later, take out profit. Another person might be like, oh, hang on, I actually think two years of building up a business before we put money in our own pockets is reasonable. And if that's the difference and mm-hmm. you haven't discussed that, you're gonna have issues because mm-hmm. one person needs to take money out of business <coughs> to pay off a mortgage. The other person doesn't wanna take yeah. any money out. Regardless of how well you get on, um, you're gonna have issues. The thing is like people look over a business partnership in terms of what it is and what it really is, it's a relationship. And so if you want a successful personal relationship, whether it's a wife, girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever it is, you need to have that clarity with expectations, <clears throat> even from when you're dating, because otherwise, if you're six months, 12 months in and someone's expecting to get engaged, another person's not, you're going to have issues. Yeah. Mm. So right at the start, like anyone in the business relationship or any kind of fucking relationship, it's important to actually set the standard as to what you expect. And particularly from, I think women do it really well. No, I won't stand for this behavior. If you want to be with me, you yeah. can't go out drinking every Tuesday and Thursday night. Yeah. And they did that early on. And you either conform or you get mm. the fuck out of the relationship. Yeah. And one of the things I've had to adapt is actually work on that exact piece. I'm not naturally good at that. I think I don't... Having to have the tough conversation is not in my top five greatest strengths. Mm. It's not something I naturally do well. Um, and there's a quote... It's easy to tell other people about it. It's something, so when you, you told that story about me sending the email, I sort of laugh on the inside because I'm thinking, gosh, I must have felt sick about sending yeah. that email because yeah. it's not mean. I did, wouldn't want it to have done it, which is probably why I said sorry. I think I, think I could tell, and that's why I replied saying, <laughs> Yeah, I'm not good at it. It's actually yeah. not your fault. Yeah. It's my fault for underperforming. I'm mm. sorry I had to do that to you. Yeah. Because I think I got that sense from your email, yeah. man. I hate it. I, yeah. Anytime, like having to. But you did it. Uh, that's the thing, someone. though. Yeah, it's the not thing a fun is, thing. Like you say that's not mm. in your top five. Mm. But every instance I know about you, you've had that conversation. Mm. So I wouldn't, I would probably disagree with you and say it's, it's probably in your top five because you actually do the work. Mm. You do it in a different way. Yeah. You don't do it from a argumentative point of view or a challenging point of view. Mm. You just do it from your, from your truth and from your heart. And yeah. say, hey man, I actually feel really bad, mm. but 
based on my data and my logic. Yeah. <laughs> you don't meet my criteria. My style, yeah. That's it. Man. I think the, the expectation things is, as well, though, is like, because I'm a bit like that as well, where sometimes if I'm working on something with someone else, I automatically expect that because they're as passionate about what we're working on as I am, that they're going to have the same expectations as me. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But they don't. They have yeah, yeah. completely different expectations. <laughs> they have completely different standards, everything. Yeah. And so then when you get to the first target or whatever it is, and then you're on different pages, you're like, what? Like you're confused, yeah. which probably happens quite a bit there's in a, business. There's a great quote um, for this that I would sometimes mention to the, the Bondi managers when I'd go back there. And at any time um, things would go wrong, I would tend to drop it, which is... Um, when or well, where communication is lacking, negativity tends to fill the void, mm-hmm. and I think yeah. that's really, really yeah. pertinent. That's and if, if I look at almost all of the issues or I've had with um, with any other person on earth, if I could probably put that down, that would be in the top one or two reasons that there's been an issue: a lack of communication. Yeah. Um, because if there's a lack of communication, it's not. We all know that that's important, but very rarely do we go. Oh, I haven't spoken to Denny. Um, you know. In, in however long, say we're in business together, haven't yeah. spoken in six months, it's unlikely because of the human brain is wired to avoid threats. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very rare that I'm going to assume the best in that situation and go, oh, he hasn't spoken to me because he loves me and trusts me so much mm-hmm. that he's not going to, he's not contacting mm-hmm. me. I'm going to tell myself a story of Denny's not communicating with me, therefore he must be up to something um, you're deceitful or he must be you know not working or being lazy that's, so that's the story we tell yeah. ourselves um, and if you haven't spoken to your manager as a business owner or if you haven't spoken to um, your partner inspiring. if you don't speak to your partner for a day it's unlikely they're going to go oh that's because um, you know some good reason <laughs> they're going to go where were you? that must exactly what the fuck are you doing who are you with they, you smell like perfume where were you that's it yeah so negativity tends to fill that void um, so I think that's a good one as a rule of thumb it's mm. just to try to it's better to over communicate for that reason again I'm talking to myself because it's not I don't believe it's a strength of mine but it's just something I've learnt that it doesn't go the other way and it's 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 something um, that I've noticed I sort of mentioned earlier just before we came on about not being on social media I haven't been on social media for about a year because I haven't been communicating with the wider society about what I'm up to each day um, it's People have an assumption that uh, there was a number of times people assumed that I had just turned off my social media. Mm. The response was not, oh, you must have turned off your social media. There was a number of stories I heard <coughs> secondhand about, um, you know, things I was doing Conspiring that I wasn't do, doing yeah. or, or <laughs> well, oh, he, he's blocked me on Facebook. And it's yeah. like, no, so that was not that. I just turned off my yeah. Facebook, but people mm. assume I've... Well, look, I've got to so. put my hand up. That was probably part of a few rumors that I'd spread, spread out that you were astronaut. Yep. Porn star, yeah, yeah. race car driver. Yeah. You know what they say though? Yeah. Where there's smoke, there's fire. So <laughs> one of those is true, and I'm leaning towards the middle one. Yes, yeah. It's um being a porn star. <laughs> yeah, yeah. To think about it. I love you, Look, um, She's so attentive, right? Look at that detail. No one else will pick that shit up. My face is a bit red, and it's probably a combination of the pre-workout. And <laughs> and the no, no, there's um, not much bit Adeline in that one. You're not going to tingle. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah right. Mate, must be the topic. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I think just on that point, like sort of jokes aside, where people do, um, you know, when they they're not informed about what someone's doing, mm. which leads them to create a story. Um, and I was thinking about why it is that we we all do that. Um, it's 
I think it's because we've got such a confusing, complicated world that what we do um, in society is we need to categorise things. And you see it all the time. Mm. So, like, for example, there's so many tests to categorise someone. Oh, you know, they're direct or they're influential or take this quiz um, and what type of bird are you? Are you a pigeon or, a, you know, <laughs> that one about what is it, the, um, yeah. the, the owl or the eagle or whatever the birds are that tell you about your personality? Mm. Or are you... Um, uh, you know, answer these ten questions to find out if you're a Joey or a Rachel. Like, you know, these fun, these or you know, which mm-hmm. Sex in the City character are yep. you? Answer these ten questions, mm. and we do it in so many things because we need to put things in boxes yep. to understand them. It's those, we, that's what the phrase phrase pigeonhole is about. Um, because I hate that. we need to put things. Okay, this person is that. Um, I hate it. And yeah, so me not being on social media and everyone knowing that I was a business oriented person and um, that I tend to be you know, potentially ambitious career-wise, when I'm not communicating with what I'm doing, the assumption was, oh, he must be off doing, creating all these businesses. And and reality was, this was spending a lot of time just doing learning and up at my mum's place at Byron Bay and and not really doing a lot of particular interests from a career perspective. Um, But I don't fit in that pigeonhole for people that I'm just reading on a, you know, on a bench somewhere. I love love that you bring (laughs) that up, man, because it means that you're seeing people as they are. You know, one of the things I find fr- frustrating <clears throat> is that when you do get pigeon holding, it's completely inaccurate. Mm. And there's some people that just have a picture of you and they they can't process people. So they put you into a box and no matter what you fucking do, yep. that's the box that they've put you in. And it's the worst when it comes from a top-down leadership point of view. Because mm. when you start trying to put boxes, people into boxes to manage your relationships, that, it doesn't exist, man. Yep. You've got to deal with the situation that's in front of you, not, mm. oh, he's direct, so... <clears throat> I'm going to approach the conversation like this so I can, that I can get this response out of him to get this mm. confirmation back. Like, Yeah, and I was one of the biggest proponents of now. doing that sort of behavior style, yeah. mm. um, value style questionnaire. I did seminars on it. I took workshops on it. I was it. actually going to pull, I was going to pull you up on that one. Yeah, I, was, I, was pretty, <laughs> I remember you pushing I a lot. I did it stuff. a lot. Um, and it's probably only through my own um, experiences of like my own attempts to unlearn a lot of stuff about or habits that I have or... Um, unwind some of my personality um, traits that I, I didn't find helpful to me on where I'd gotten to. Um, and they're trying to go down a different path and change those things that looking at how I've changed then go, oh, it's it's so ridiculous to then be thinking that you can pigeonhole people when I can see how I've changed. So why am I doing this to other people and mm. saying, oh, this person tested this way on a behavior style three years ago, so therefore they're like that. It's, it's ridiculous. Um, uh, but, you know, I, I, like many others, um, made money from that process of doing right. those quizzes and um, taking workshops. And it's like um, in psychology, um, back at university, we did this thing where you answer 100 questions about yourself. And I was in a, in a class of 20 people um, and you, you answer 100 questions, might have been 200 questions. It was exhaustive. It was huge. It took hours. Um, and then we came back the next to the shoot. And then the, um, our names are at the top of each piece of paper. And I'm like, okay, this is, um, I went around the room. Here's your piece of paper describing your personality based on what you said. And so we're sitting there and everyone's reading their thing. And I've got my piece of paper and it says, James Drury, you are like this, you are like this, you are like mm. this, you are like this. And you just, and you just form to it. And everyone, so then the, the tutor said, okay, guys, so you've done 200 questions on your behaviors, on your personality. You've now got a printout describing yourself as a person. What do you guys think? And everyone was like, oh, that's so me. Yeah. That's so me. Oh, you've just nailed it. She's like, okay, swap it with a person next to you. Turns out 20 people in the shoot, we all had the exact same mm. piece of paper. So 
it was the whole you thing was just, was just yes, we all just believed because we'd answered the question about ourselves yeah. that um that it was accurate about itself which is effectively how astrology works is because mm-hmm. you put a description and you can make any sort of result connect to some part of your life yeah um so yeah just a little thing on on i guess how i see yeah, that process differently and, and when back to your point about people wondering what you're doing and mm. when you're not putting it out there to the world about what you're actually doing how you've just got to be aware mm. that some people will make it up yeah i've done one of those tests before and i actually got the results once not it wasn't 200 questions on mm. but it was something like that it was like your top five traits some something like that and i remember reading and i was like i do not like what i see <laughs> like i a i don't think i'm like that like am i actually like this and i didn't i, I can't remember what it was it was a while back but that's I, probably a good sign that I probably didn't means like you're it. critically analyzing not just most people don't, I think she don't does. do that. Yeah, they just Jade's someone who will read into the detail of the detail. <laughs> you do, yeah. but you analyze it really well, and you yeah. can have a different perspective. Mm. But one thing I hear when you when you're talking that a lot at the moment, Jade, is I hear a lot of self reflection, mm. a lot. Now, this is in my experience yeah. when I've had those big self reflective moments. It's usually come from a fuckload of pain. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> So, have you been challenged recently? Have you gone through pain, or is it just something that you've sort of? It's time for me to look inward, or what's what's been what's been the go for you? Yeah, um, I think you're right. I think it's a combination of um, pain, change, and also time. Mm-hmm. Um, that's been one of the the, the good things um, for me in, in selling that business is allowed me to sort of reflect um, what it is I want to do with my life, and I guess that sort of this process the last two or three years has been for me really trying to figure out what I want to do next. Um, what gives me purpose? What um, what self-realization looks like for me? Um, I think for a number of years I was on the treadmill of just trying to climb the ladder. Yeah. Um, and as you said, you know, I started at that literal bottom and, you know, effectively I went as high as I could go. Yeah, um, high as anyone's gone. Yeah, there was no other ability to go higher. Mm-hmm. I mean, sure, I could have opened more businesses, um, but from a... I guess the intellectual challenge of or trying different things or having influence it was you know the extent of what that yeah. scope looked like um so then it was like, okay well what are, what's there, there's a quote um and probably one of the things that led me to move on to the next thing there's a poet by the name of Rumi, and he he just keeps coming back in my mind when you sort of ask that question which is he says you know my soul doesn't live here and that's how I've felt in a number of things I've sort of tried over the last few years, which is, you know, when you get that gut feeling of, you know, it might be in a romantic relationship or it might be um, in a business mm-hmm. situation yeah, and yeah. you just feel like my soul doesn't live here. This is yeah. not where I'm meant to be. That's mm. not what I'm yearning for. Restless. Um, yeah, it's restless. Mm-hmm. And I think um, there's a there's, there's another, so I've got lots of stories, but I think that the best way to find self-realization um, is to find what the greatest um, impact you can have on on the world as you see it, mm-hmm. um, and then commit yourself to doing that. Um, and then the other question from that you know leads on from what is the greatest good I can give back to the, the earth is what's more worthwhile than that? You know, have you got anything better to do than that? And if the answer is no, which probably is going to be, then mm. why would you you do anything different to that? Um, so we'll get onto this a bit later, but that's sort of where I've sort of moved into the that sort of youth teenager mm. space because my answer to that is okay I want to spend time there and I'll come into the I guess the pain sort of reason I, I'm attracted to that age group and why I like having the influence there um, but yeah over the course of leaving head office um, trying to get a business off the ground it not succeeding mm-hmm. that initial attempt to get off the ground 
um, the breakdown of the romantic relationship that was, mm-hmm. you know, uh, probably around two, uh, three years, which might sound like a lot, but for me, that was my longest relationship mm-hmm. um, and was all precipitated by a, a seizure um, that happened all in pretty much the same fortnight, more or less. So business wow. fell over, seizure. Um, uh, was this a vision business? No, not a vision. Okay. So I left mm-hmm. Vision. I still own Vision Bondi. I okay. was a shareholder. I wasn't working there. Right. Um, but I left head office and I was working on a, another um, business at the time. And um, yeah, so there were obviously relationship issues prior to that, but the seizure sort of brought all of it to a head mm. um, and everything sort of exploded in a fortnight. So wow. the seizure happened. Wow. The business fell over about two or three days after that. It sucks, dude. Um, yeah. Well, interesting you say it sucks because um, it's... The, the story I keep bringing it back to when I keep coming back to this this team business is even though it didn't work out and I'm still trying to yeah. do it again, is there's um, you know, the story of Jonah and the whale, mm. which is, um, so basically um, Jonah, he, he's told by God to go and, you know, go into the city and get them loosely, you know, back on track because um, they're not living how they should be and doing all the rest of it. And he's like, no, I'm not going to do that. And he tries to escape and he gets on a boat. And so, um, you know, then God throws down a big storm on them mm-hmm. sinks the boat and um oh sorry before that um throw the storm on them and and then the sailors are like oh you know what's this storm and it's like it's my fault i'm supposed to be over there doing this but i'm trying to run away so then the sailors throw him overboard oh, okay that's when the whale picks him up yeah. and takes him back okay. there so it, in my mind it was sort of like you know the thing exploding was um with the the seizure uh, was the you know that kind of the storm being thrown overboard because I was drifting in a direction that mm. wasn't how I was supposed to go, be going about mm. it. That business that was um, I was trying to do the yeah. team business wasn't heading in the direction it needed to be. It wasn't about what it was supposed to be about. Um, there it became very ju- just not what it was supposed yeah. to be. Um, and that was the the funny thing about the seizure was it was created by a incorrectly prescribed headache tablet. Wow. Um, from a, a GP. So um, I'd never had a seizure in my life. And um, wow. I was I was prescribed a, a family, a GP prescribed me, a, um, or a friend sort of GP prescribed me a, a headache tablet that um, has an antihistamine that can trigger a seizure Jesus. in people who are, who who's, have a genetic predisposition to seizures, and which on my mother's side I have. So I've never, generally if you've got epilepsy, mm. it's going to happen in your teen years. Yeah. Um, I, and I put my brain through a lot of stuff at head office. It was an ongoing joke that, I would not work. I would not go to bed some nights, and I would just work through the night, and I did silly mm. stuff. Um, but that was the taking that triggered the seizure. Yeah. And I look at, the, at that story of you know being thrown wow. overboard, but then you know the whale sort of just keeps bringing bringing mm. you back. Um, but the the pain thing that led to the um, the real or the forced reflection. Mm. Um, another story that I like to think about that is the fear that it's where you least want to look. Or what you least want to do is often the place you most have to look. So it's a thing you don't want to do. And we all know that. Like as soon as I say, I think people go, it's the thing I don't want to do. It's going to be the thing that's best for me. No, I look, I look at you like that and I look at Jade like that because Jade's got a really wonderful saying. What's your saying, baby? I don't know. <laughs> What's in the darkness? Oh, whatever's in the dark must come to light. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, there's the I story. Live by that. Yeah. If, yeah. I'm, if, I, if I feel like I'm not being true to someone, yeah. Like I, if I lie, I might win this little battle here, but then it's not. It's gonna mm. come out, and when it comes out, it's gonna be worse. So, all right, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've learned sure. a lot from you. Like I think yeah. about my actions in that in that concept now. Yeah, there's a. It's funny we're sitting at a for the, the listeners. We're sitting at a round table here, <laughs> which reminds me of um, a, a, another way I sort of 
look at this. That and oh, by the way, none of these stories are mine. Obviously, I just I collect stories and quotes. Well, what do you what mean? Like you, didn't, do. you didn't write a whale back to the land? <laughs> <laughs> no, the Jonah's <laughs> Jonah and the whale. That wasn't mine. No, I thought you were um, truthful. Take, Here no, I am thinking no, man of integrity. Of these, <laughs> I thought you wrote a whale. Um, there's the Arthur and the Round, ta- round mm-hmm. Table and, and his knights. So that's the classic, you know, stories that often as we think, take them literally as kids and we they don't actually look at them as what they're telling us about our own lives as, you know, people in their 30s, 40s and what they have to teach us. But the search of the Holy Grail, which I guess is what I'm trying to do, like a lot of people do, particularly in their middle years, it's like, what's my purpose in life? That's, mm-hmm. in my mind, what the Holy Grail represents. Mm-hmm. Like, how, what is a good it's life? It's a hard life. It's a hard life. And what the, in the story, the, the knights who are sitting around the round table um, the Holy Grail is somewhere, they don't know what it is or where it is, but they know it's somewhere in the forest. The, where they approach the forest is where it appears darkest to them. And that's the strategy. It's where that forest mm-hmm. seems darkest to you, that's where you enter it because that's where you're most likely to find it. So mm-hmm. let's go back to the thing of, you know, what scares you the most, that's the thing you need to pursue. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you know, that's what the Holy Grail is. So my version, and this could change, we were talking before about what I might say in a year might be totally different. Mm-hmm. And your, your life purpose and all those things, you mm-hmm. may, might, I haven't got a family, but potentially if I've got a family, then that becomes a new Holy yeah. Grail. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, for me, the Holy Grail is, is having an impact in that generation. And, you know, it's going into that... The forest at the darkest point is what I know I need to do, and that's also going to be the scariest part. Yeah, man, it's um, hard. So, yeah, it's, it's a hard thing to do. What yeah, are you doing? Yeah. Anyway, the whole point of that process has been a lot of reflection, a lot of um, analysis, and and also just moving past ego um, of not being. My ego really enjoyed being the GM, you mm. know, and now on paper I'm unemployed. So yeah. that's an adjustment for me. It's certainly yeah. an ego thing. It's like, oh, what do you, you know, what are you, what are you doing today? And it's like, well, uh, even, even, <laughs> even the fact that you felt so prominent within a network, right? Sure. Yeah. People knew you. Yeah. You, you gave something to people. Loved people it. looked up to you, you know, yeah. it's a cool thing. Mm. Um, one thing that I don't like what happens when, when people leave our network, particularly mm. if they do it in the right way, they're kind of, I feel like they're almost shunned from all history. Like those that should never be spoken. It's kind of like that, you know? Mm-hmm. And one thing that I think about many people when they leave is how they leave. So a big thing to me recently is that I, I want to think, and I was thinking about you, and I think about the way that you left. You did it the right way. You didn't do anything dodgy. You didn't keep your business, shut it down, and open it as a JD Fitness for Kids in the same location with all your current database. Mm-hmm. You took you took the the high road. You had a lot of integrity, mm-hmm. and left you said, trace. you know what? I'm going to sell it. I'm going to do this properly because, and you've told me this, you didn't want to impact any of the other franchise owners. You don't want to do the wrong thing by them. You sold your business, you waited your time and you're trying to do it again. That's super honorable, man. There's people in our network, people that you know, and you probably know more stories than me, who are going down legal pathways to exit and keep their existing clients and now, or their existing business rather. And I think that's unfair because... You've built your business on the back of a brand that people like you and I have built for the last 20 years. Now, if you think you are so fucking good, mm. don't just change a name, mm. sell it, start from scratch and see what you got. And I really admire you for doing that, man. And anyone that has done that within, a, within our network, I super admire. I don't admire the people that just change the signage because you didn't do shit. You've built your legacy off the brand and hard work of the last 20 years. Yeah. So. I, you know, that's a big thing for you to take, man. And mm. I hope that you hold up, you hold your head up very high in terms of your vision era. Yeah. Okay, man? Thanks, yeah. I hope it's, you do. It's, again, like it's a reflective um, piece, like uh, having 
starting starting a business is very different to purchasing one and improving it. Mm. Um, and that's one thing I, I found is that you know it's um it's not as easy as it looks. Like I think a lot of people. Um, Do you remember the chat I had with you in your office? No, but did I reject you on something? No, 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 no. No, I think I actually imparted some wisdom on you one day. Oh, okay, maybe. You were in HQ, the the old HQ. There's a whole new HQ now. It's actually quite nice. Yep. Um, They haven't got a table tennis board. I'm not sure what that's about. (laughs) Um, But I was speaking to you like, oh, you know, I'm thinking about doing a studio. I'm like, okay, tell me about that. Mm. Why do you want to do another studio for? (laughs) And you couldn't really give me a good answer. I kept pushing you. And you're like, I just want a challenge. Mm. I was like, hey, JD, do you like skiing? You're like, yeah, I love it. <laughs> Fucking get better at skiing. Make yeah. that your challenge. Do not go buy a business because yeah. you just want a challenge. Yeah. Do you remember that? No, but it sounds sounds right. right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do remember that face thinking of opening more businesses yeah. just because it seemed like the right thing to do. I'd like to take credit yeah. that you didn't. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's a big commitment. That's why. And yeah. I, at that time, man, you had a lot on your plate because you wanted to do this business and be in HQ. Yeah. And I knew the level of commitment it takes mm. to start up a brand new business and I yeah. didn't want to see you suffer. Yeah, and I think if you're going to have the multiple—not that I've had it, but to an extent I had a multiple studio, uh, similar setup in that I had I was at head office um, mm-hmm. whilst I had a team operating at Bondi, and and that's where you know guys like Chris um, in Hara and, and Mal and, and Tim and Ben and some of those um, core guys who were there for many years were critical. They allowed me to pursue my goals at head office, mm-hmm. um, which I, I do want to, you know want to circle back and say that again because. Um, it's the same thing with multiple studio ownership. You can't be two places in one uh, once without having that that strong team. And that's if you're going to have a second business, third business, then you know that's that's a tough thing to create. That stable team is going to be there, and that. So I would have needed, you know, multiple long-term guys to be able to pursue that. Um, so yeah, no. And and back to your point about the exit. Uh, yeah, I think there's, um, uh, you know, wanting to leave. I. I having worked with probably 90% of the franchise, the current franchise owners at the time I sold, like there's probably a few new ones now who weren't there when I was... um, I think there is. Yeah. Actually, possibly a couple. Yeah. Yeah. There's, you don't want to cause any pain to them. Like I think when I was, um, you know, a few years ago um, at head office, I was obviously more prominent, vocal, those sorts of things. Um, But, you know, when you get on the other side of that and you've, you've been out of it for a while, like why should I have any impact on how they you know take their undertake their business um so there's that and um also it wasn't the other thing is it wasn't um you know personal training was just no longer my holy grail in the forest of what i wanted yeah. to do as well which certainly made it you know mm-hmm. another factor but um yeah i learned a great deal from vision i had huge experiences i got to do um, incredible stuff that led to me being asked to speak on things like this. So some, someone, <laughs> at least one person thinks I have something to offer. No, what, what, <laughs> what led you to speak? Talking in China. was the fact that you had integrity. And I think in this, in our current situation, life in general, politically, uh, even our, even our science, our scientists can't get on the same page. There's no integrity. Once, once someone said you wear a mask, another one said you don't wear a mask. They're saying the rights are because of the liberals and mm. then they're saying it's because of the Nazis. Like, integrity is a big thing. Mm. And so as I've gotten older, I learned to really value that. So the mm. reason I wanted you to do this was I was thinking about you like that. I was thinking about integrity and I was thinking about these situations and you were someone who was always honest. Mm. And, 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 and in, this, in this kind of world, I think that's something to really highlight and be proud of. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, yeah. Like that's a, a huge compliment. That's, um, I think integrity is one of the hardest values to try to 
to live up to. To maintain, it's, yeah. Yeah, like it's, 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 it's the greatest compliment, thing, but at the same time, it's the hardest thing to do because as soon as um, you look at any value and or receive a compliment of any type of value, um, I think immediately, or certainly in my mind, I can think of a hundred occasions where I haven't maybe met that standard. Yeah, um, so it's, it's a tough thing to, to do, but um, yeah, like I remember that was, we were given, um, in when I was in year nine, uh, Scott says his uh, camp at Kangaroo Valley um, called uh, Glengarry, and at the end of the six months, we were sort of given um, a, like a, a descriptor of the represented, you know, it was like Mr. Happy or Mr. Whatever. Yeah. Um, and I haven't thought about this till you said that, but the one I got was Mr. Integrity. And I, when I was 15, I didn't even know who that was. Yeah. Um, you probably thought, oh, this is I lame. was like, what a lame word. I, <laughs> I was wanted like, to brave. Oh, the teacher said Aggressive. that. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, and then, yeah, but then I think it's about, I've gone down a path and so many things I've done. I go, oh, you know, that wasn't really, um, didn't have integrity about how I was going about that. So it's, I think in, it's trying to wheel back around and try to, like I said, unlearn some of the unhelpful um, habits or some of the ego things that lead us to do things that aren't, you know, don't have a lot of integrity behind them and, and try to rebuild that. And I think that's sort of the journey I'm on at the moment is trying to be like you, more... Do you think you need to unlearn or do you think you just need to accept that you're just evolving and changing? Yeah, possibly. I think there's some experience. Um, I saw something recently about, you know, when you go down a path, it's not exactly the path you wanted. It's not that you have to go back to zero because now you've got that yeah. toolkit of everything you've mm-hmm. learned. Um but I, I look at you know a lot of the things my head office experience um, and what uh, where I was happy with what I did versus mm-hmm. things I'm like I could have done that better I wish I handled that differently um, and yeah there's so much about it that I've I've sort of reflected on learned would do differently um, mm-hmm. like I just one little thing like I was looking we talk about this journey about uh, you know going as an, a part time BDM to mm-hmm. then head of operations to general yeah. manager um, not this exactly to your question but just interesting for maybe the young people. I'm um, looking back, the period I experienced the most joy in the whole 10, 11 years mm-hmm. was when I was the BDM, when I was a part-time BDM, part-time going back to Vision Bondo, yeah. not head of operations, yeah. not general manager. Um, What's I, BDM? So it's a business development manager. So okay. it's basically you're traveling amongst the studios, just checking in with them, seeing how they're going, mm-hmm. answering their questions, if you can help. More interaction, sounds yeah. like, yeah. Yeah, interaction. I had four or five studios up in Queensland that I went to for a week each mm. three months um i was spending more time checking back in at bondi i still had it was a really joyful time of what i was doing mm-hmm. um and i think it was just the assumption that more is better yeah. so that led me to want to go higher mm. it's like oh well obviously head of operations is better because it's higher well obviously general manager is better <laughs> yeah. because it's higher and i've sort of looked back at that now and go well not necessarily um, and I didn't understand trainers who didn't want to get grow higher. They used to do my head in. I would pull my hair out and be like, why does this trainer not want to become a manager? Because, you know, yeah. that's it's ridiculous. It's a crazy thing. And now I look back and go, well, actually, I can see how it might not be mm-hmm. um, for some certain people mm-hmm. in different parts of their life. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, just interesting reflections. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny how, as you get older, you just learn to be... I'm not sure if it's for everyone, but obviously... For myself and obviously for you, just learn to just listen and understand people better. Mm-hmm. You know, that's one thing I've learned as I've gotten older. Like I've always been quite natural at what I've done, but as I've gotten older, I and especially now with Jay, because Jay's very analytical and data based, I try and like rationalize my understanding as to how I'm processing stuff and why. So by doing that, I'm able to understand why I'm a lot more understanding and, and nicer and all those experiences. Yeah, it's a it's a cool thing to evolve in and to, to yeah. feel like you can sort of see the world a bit better. Mm. Mm. It's it's funny you mention that. Cause people, yeah, I was 
you, I, I was listening to one of your um, podcasts with uh, Dean. Yeah, yeah, um, and I think the first question uh, where you started was, "How would you describe yourself?" So I was over preparing, being over anic a little, over, <laughs> over, and I was thinking, "Okay, well, he asked Dean now. He must ask me in this, so I'll just, I'll just I'll think about where this could go." Dean's got her questions to ask and, you. Yeah. So anyway. It started with, how would you describe yourself? And I was thinking, oh gosh, I hope they don't ask me that because I've got no idea what I would say. Um, and I started thinking about values and I just went down a rabbit hole and I'm like, yeah. no, I can't say any of those because <laughs> none of them are 100% accurate and I just started going way too far. Um, and when you start talking about getting better at listening and trying to um, understand and, and removing some of your ego, there's uh, something, um, a really cool value that um, I think doesn't get enough attention certainly in the Western world. Uh, the Western world's funny with values. Like, mm-hmm. they, something catches fire on Instagram. So over the f- past few years, like it's been... Uh, well, yeah, but like even the value things, like people, everyone's talking about resilience yeah. and then it's grit and right. then it's self-awareness and mm. people see it and then they put it on, you know, make it the values of their company and, and things just become popular about, oh, you know, this is the new cool mm-hmm. value to have. Um, and I think one of the ones, I, and I picked this up from Dr. Lynch, who is a sports psychologist. I was lucky enough to do some work within um, Colorado a few years ago. Um, he, and one of the ones um, that comes from um, the Buddhist, um, or I believe, um, belief is that it's called emptiness and emptiness. And we, like in the Western world, we go, oh, emptiness is a bad thing. Mm-hmm. To be empty is bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but in, you know, that school of thought, emptiness is actually something you pursue because you, you guys were joking about being the yin and the yang and all the rest of it. And that's a circle. Everyone knows what the circle of the yin and yang looks like. It's within the circle where the power and the, the potential of um, growth is. And that's empty um, deliberately, symbolically, because um, the idea is that anything is possible within the circle. It's the inside of the circle oh, wow. where all the power is. And that is empty. And so trying to be empty me as a person, that means that you're going approaching each day appreciating the fact that you are empty in a good way not that you're not worth anything but mm-hmm. you're empty in insofar as you are trying to take in as much as, as possible, possible. Yeah. so i'm trying to learn from you i'm trying to learn from you i'm trying to take in that experience if i'm if i'm full it's i connect it to being full of yourself it's like i'm going to yeah. the world i already know everything i think i already full of knowledge i'm full of my experiences i'm full of all of this nonsense mm-hmm. whereas if i go into the world empty i can actually pick up a, a number of things and um they, they talk about, you know, when you, you fill up, this, the symbol that they use for it is pouring the, the kettle, the tea into the mm-hmm. cup. It's like if it's, um, if it's full, if the cup's full, it's going to overflow and all of that benefit mm-hmm. gets lost. So mm-hmm. you need the cup to be empty mm-hmm. so you can actually fill yourself up each day. I really um, like that. So emptiness, I think, is really cool, and I, I yeah. doubt it will catch on. But when you talk, when I was thinking, oh, they're going to ask me, what are you, what are you <laughs> like? I'm, like? I'm not. I don't think I am that. But I, if I was going to try to be like anything, mm. or try to pursue any value at all, mm. and maybe, and I don't think I was like this at all for a number of years. But I'm going to try to be more like that each day. Just yeah, take it on from people and realize you don't know. And so when you talk about politics and all this sort of stuff, I always try to think of it from an emptiness perspective, yeah. being like, just maybe appreciate that I have no idea in the scheme of everything there is to know about this subject, mm. consider that maybe you know nothing yeah. and you can you might learn something. <laughs> have you ever, um, and this goes out to you, Gregory, as well, Jay, um, have you ever, like, been doing something and being anxious and stressed about something <clears throat> and you're like, fuck, I'm stressed about this and then something happens and you've forgotten what you're stressed about? Yeah. Do you, and do, do you ever spend time thinking, what, what was I stressed about and need to get it back? You yeah, I know what you mean. You yeah, as well. I know what you mean. Yeah, it's hard. Because that's something I always get, do. Work like, up. Yeah. I'd have this feeling of being stressed or feeling a certain way, and then it would go away, and I'd actually feel quite lighter for it. But I'm like, fuck, what was I stressing about? 
man, I've got to think about what I was stressing about rather than being like, oh, that's gone yeah. now. Let's just relax. Yeah. I still do that to this day. It's something that I try not to do. Mm. But as a younger man, particularly in my 20s and as a teenager and as a kid, I was riddled with that. Yeah. I had, if I didn't feel anxiety when I woke up in the morning, I'd, I'd search for it. Mm. I'd be like, oh, oh wow. I feel pretty good today, but what do I have to be stressed about? Not, not, I didn't say those words to me, to yeah. myself, but I'd be like, I'd start thinking about the day and what I've got to do to, to wind myself up again okay. and get anxious. I was yeah. quite stressed as a kid, then, yeah. even for a very long time as an adult. That's very interesting. Anxious, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. It's, it's a, that actually, I, I think that's a higher order skill in the fact that you were looking at that and analyzing your own thoughts as thoughts. Not, mm, a lot of true. young people don't, uh, or people in general, but certainly young people, um, they, if something happens, they're unable to separate what's happening from what's just a thought. So something, uh, for example, is oh, something bad's happened and it's it's what's happened It's rather than my interpretation of what's happened. Mm-hmm. And that's actually, um, you know, I'm no neuroscientist, so if I make any errors on this, um, I'll disclaim there, but the, the idea of the uh, neocortex. Tell me my mum that listens, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Email hey, me. Mom. <laughs> well, I'll put it in my junk. Um, uh, just uh, the neocortex. So that's what the, your, the metacognition, which is my ability to step back, pause, and, and observe thoughts as thoughts rather than this is a fact. It's like, no, that's a thought. Um, mm-hmm. So the fact that you're able to do that is... Um, it's interesting. One of the um, the stories I like to so this sort of ties in with the, the youth business is um, so it's called H three because there's head, yeah. hands, and heart. And that the first part of it is um, the head, which is training people or training kids to do that. It's like it's not a fact. It's just what you're experiencing is your interpretation of that fact, um, and that's a, a big challenge. But if you can mm. start to do that, you can then move beyond it. It's like oh, I'm in a mood. Um, because of something it's like no it's not necessarily you've just chosen to interpret that as a good thing or a bad thing and the story I like to tell about the interpretation and how we get it so mucked up is um, a story I picked up from a philosopher called Alan Watts and he talks about the Chinese farmer and, and I love it as a story because and I use it with the Bondo managers anytime something really bad happened like a trainer quit or a, anytime something really good happened they'd be like oh this is awesome oh this is really bad so the story goes there's a Chinese farmer and one day his horse runs away um, and escapes and, and runs away and all the um, neighbours come around that night and they say oh you know that's too bad you know horses run away so sorry uh, it's, it's really bad and he says oh maybe anyway, next day horse comes back and it brings a group of horses wild horses back with it so he's gone from having one horse now he's got ten horses mm. so all the neighbours come back and they say oh isn't that great mm. and he says Maybe. 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 <laughs> Next day, his son tries to tame the wild horses, jumps on a horse, um, and he gets bucked off and breaks his leg. And all the neighbours come over, see his son with a broken leg, and they go, oh, so sorry, that's so bad. And he says, maybe. maybe. Next day, conscription officers come around, oh, sure. and they're looking to take the son to make him join the army. And he leg. can't go, exactly, can't join the army because of the broken leg. And the neighbors come around, they say, Oh, isn't that excellent? And the son says, No, sorry, the father <laughs> says, Maybe. So it's a bit of a tongue in cheek at the end. Obviously, mm-hmm. it's good you're not going to war. Um, but yeah, it's the idea is that um, the process of nature and everything that happens in our lives is so integrated, it's really impossible to tell if anything is inherently good, good or bad, bad. Yeah. Uh, when you think about it. And there's so many things that happen. We look back in our career and we go, mm, That was time we thought it was great and it actually wasn't or vice versa the seizure or having is. that headache tablet was, it just is mm. um, and yeah and, and as soon as you start to appreciate that and that's easier said than done when you're mm. in a calm state it's much it which is why breathing is important 
you're able to go, okay, well, I don't actually, I don't need to interpret it. And it's funny when people say it is what it is. It's actually a very wise thing to say. A lot of people just say it off the cuff, but it's weird. It just, yeah. it is what it I is. I only really started grasping that concept literally two weeks ago. Yeah. When I was deep diving again into bloody American entertainment politics. Mm. And I just sort of realized, especially after, there was a great net, uh, documentary on Netflix that I watched called The 13th Amendment about that. And basically, when you watch that, you just realize that they're both complicit. Republicans, Democrats, they're both fucking complicit. And so I was looking at the media, and we're trying, we're trying to, as you said, we're trying to categorize good yeah. and evil. Yeah. And unfortunately, mm. it's actually really hard to tell, particularly in a political system, who's actually good and who's evil. Mm. It just depends on your side, your interpretation. Yeah. And so I've learned just to understand that it's, one's not good and one's not evil. They just mm. are. That's it. There's, mm-hmm. You can't pick good or evil. They're just doing their own shit and they're going to do that and it's just... You, <laughs> you vote if you want to vote for the one that's most going to give yeah. you what you feel like you need. Yeah. But there is no good or fucking evil. They're just yeah. doing their thing. Yeah. And they're both complicit in everything. Yeah. If you're talking about gun laws in the States, they're both complicit. The mm-hmm. war on drugs, they're both complicit. Mm-hmm. You're talking about the criminal justice system, they're both complicit. Mm-hmm. They Both sides have brought in laws to fuck shit up. So don't side with one. Like what I, what I really hate about that identity politics that we're talking about before, particularly in Australia, like you got Labour and you got the Coalition Liberals, whatever they are, right? And it's kind of forced us, they've made us as a society choose a side. Okay, and, and, we, and then you and I are opposite sides. So I fight you, you fight me, we're fucking arguing and nothing happens. Yeah. When the actual challenge is, it's, it's, it's them. We should hate them, they're the issue. They're the one that are making us fight. Yes, like, it's tribalism. It's not it, even. It is, a, and, they, yeah. and they, they feed it's off not that. Necessarily the they're the problem, yeah. not us. Yeah. Like they make us fight. Yeah, my mum gets very worked up about political issues. No. I find she gets. Uh, <laughs> sure, she'll be listening. Um, she can figure out the technology. Um, but I often. Spotify. One of, the, <laughs> one of the things um, that got me through politics courses, um, a phrase that got me through politics courses um, in at uh, university, with, of which I only took a, a handful because it wasn't really my thing. Um, when I was asked upon or called upon to answer a question I hadn't done the reading, uh, <laughs> I would often just say, you know, lean back and, and um, look very wise uh, and, and just sort of reflect and say, well, you know, the only thing more dangerous than knowing nothing at all is knowing half the story. And you can't refute that because immediately people look back on their very firmly held beliefs and mm-hmm. they uh, shortly after they recognise that they don't. They only know a percentage of what they're being told. Mm. It might be two, a thirty-second clip on the news. It might be just their political party's information. It, in that whole space, and so many spaces, um, but particularly politics, I think it's easy to see that you're. You know that you don't know the full story. Yeah, so we're just being played. Which is the Dunning Kruger effect. It's like you know a little bit about a topic. So as soon as you know a little bit about it, you then think your you confidence know. is through the roof. Mm. And it's only when you start to learn a little bit more that you go, well, actually, as you say, I've got no idea really what the full extent of this mm. story is. Um, so I think it's better to be the um, the calm person where possible. Obviously, if there's a huge injustice, that's a little bit different. But where possible, I, I tend to sort of sit back and try to stay calm, just acknowledging the fact that. I don't know, and I'll possibly never know the full mm. extent of what's going on, rather than getting too bought into an issue knowing that I possibly only know 5% of the issue, but also the 5% that someone actually wants to tell me. Um, mm. to or you could go more. further, right? And this yep. is something that's happened to myself and I think Jade as well, is that, okay, we've been watching the same shit. So we've got their side. 
clearly there's a lot of animosity against what I'm hearing and what I feel is correct. I need to start learning the other side. So what I've been actually looking for is other sources that I trust to give me the information on the other side mm-hmm. of, of that view so I do get a better understanding and to see yeah. if my instincts are right in terms of how I feel about a situation. I'm trying yeah. to do that. Yeah, you have to. It takes discipline because yeah. we want to just believe the, the yeah, perspective yeah. that's given yeah. to us and to then actively go searching for the opposing yeah. opinion and actually try to prove yourself wrong. And try um, and watch it. It's hard. Yeah. Like yeah. I, I'm listening to this and I'm like, oh, these guys are f- like full of shit. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. just listen to it. And I've just started with small snippet videos, yeah. right? I'm like, I'm just... 10 yeah. minutes, I can do this, I need to learn, I've got to understand why this is this way. Mm. You know? I guess that goes back to JD's thing about being empty. Yeah, yeah. Right? yeah Having true. that ability to, to be yeah. empty yeah. allows you to absorb more of you know mm. all different types of information coming from different sources as it well. It definitely helps me be less aggressive. Yeah. Mm. I found if I just hear the one side, I get really aggressive about that one point of view. Mm-hmm. And I just think anyone else that thinks any kind of way differently is a fucking idiot. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, you get quite and, defensive. And I get very yeah. defensive and I get very aggressive. Yeah. And, I, yeah. and I found myself, because I was getting so invested, particularly when COVID started, I went down deep, man. Yeah. Like in early January, I was, I was saying to my team, this is what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. We're going to get locked down. We're gonna, I, I could see it coming just because you could see how it was going around the world. So I knew mm-hmm. it was going to happen. Yeah. And I've gone down this, this deep fucking hole and I was just watching one thing and I was just getting so aggressive at one stage. And that if you just had a point of view, it, was, it couldn't just be a discussion at that point with me. Mm. I would give you my view and I wouldn't, I wouldn't even give you a second to do... Like, you can try and defend yourself, but I'll just crush it. Yeah. I and think, it wasn't a good place. Yeah. I didn't feel good. Mm. I felt really bad. Mm. I feel like a dickhead after when I think back at those conversations. Mm. It's only like two months ago. Mm. When I'm arguing with... Like, my, it might even be my client. <laughs> you know, we're talking about this shit. <laughs> yeah. And like, I'm just like, fuck, what's wrong with me? Who cares? Mm. It just is. I think, yeah, you walk away from most, I don't know about you, but personally, anytime I've been in a social interaction and I've come out particularly strong on an issue, mm. surely thereafter I'll, I'll be sitting there and going, oh, I wish I didn't say it like that. I wish I... Whereas yeah, if, you totally, do, if you play, you know, devil's advocate and you sort of see that you're demonstrate that you can understand both perspectives, mm-hmm. then, you know, you don't really... Re- You've sort of, no matter who the person you're dealing with is, like, okay, they're a reasonable person and, and you show your flexibility to be able to, to swing either way but and still understand. I find it. that people... It's tough if, to do. If you can do that, I, I find people actually are more inclined to actually like you Yeah. as well. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, well, otherwise you're banking on the chance that that person who you're, um, you know, on this diatribe towards yeah. is exactly aligned with your yeah. perspective. And if they're not... <laughs> well, then you've made an enemy. If yeah, you're making an enemy. <laughs> so, and so yeah. it's... Yeah, I, I, I try to just mm. listen, give my yeah. alternate view and just leave it at that. Mm. If I feel like they've said something that's maybe not as accurate or I've got a question mm. about it, I'll just ask and say, yeah. okay, well, how about that? The particularly challenging thing about this topic is also that it's not just um, potentially political things. You talk about stats being able to be molded. The same thing with science. So science is contextual as well. Mm. A lot of people think that a scientific yeah. study demonstrates that um, oh, it's science, uh, this study found this therefore is this is fact now there's so many things that you look over that 10 years ago were a scientific fact that are no longer a fact it was mm-hmm. just the pers- perspective at the time that maybe the technology that was had it was the um, hypothesis that was done there's so many things that evolve over time there are things we believe now as even medical science that in 10 years time we will go oh that wasn't really correct it's mm-hmm. actually slightly different to that 
Um, so if we're being you know, intelligent about how we present things, it's, it's almost like everything needs to be presented as a current understanding suggests that. Like mm. I think that from a, even a personal That's training perspective, yeah. It's but like, you know what people like? They want a hundred percent. They want yeah. They can't, they, Unfortunately, if, it's not if, the case. If, <laughs> if a doctor comes on TV <laughs> to talk about coronavirus, yeah, and they're like, it could be this. People are gonna lose their fucking mind. They're like, what yeah. do you mean it could be this? You mean yeah. it could also be that? Yeah. Well, yes, there is a small chance that yes. it could also be. People would lose their mind. That's true. People cannot accept anything yeah. other than a hundred percent guarantee. Yep. But as we know, that doesn't exist either. That's, yep. that's a falsehood. Oh, I'm glad you touch on this because this is a, I, I try not to give book recommendations too much because um, I know people got bombarded by them, but uh, the great, probably the best book I've read in a long, long time that I don't think a lot of people, um, a lot of young people tend to read business career or leadership type stuff and they're trying to climb that ladder. Um, but if you want to sort of get a, a different perspective on a purposeful life, there's an amazing book by an Australian author, Hugh Mackay, called um, The Good Life. Um, and it's, it's really changed how I look at what's important um, and you know this idea of the pursuit of happiness and so many things that we chase um, that aren't necessarily going to provide us um, happiness. But he talks about in one of the chapters, seven false leads. Mm-hmm. Um, and the seven false leads, um, I won't go into all of them, but one of them is the idea of certainty. And so the, what we try to do, um, one of the things that we think is going to help us is to create certainty in our, our world, just like you say. Mm. And so we like, no, it has to be this way because it's kind of like the pigeonhole thing. It's like, if I create certainty to a, a degree in some space, I'll be able to move forward. Now, if you actually look at the people who are most successful, if you want to call that in society, or the people at the top of the hierarchies, what gets them there is their ability to deal with the fact and acknowledge the uncertainty, but mm. then communicate the certainty to the masses. Yeah. So they're well aware, the people at the top dealing with COVID, for example, are well aware that there is a huge amount of uncertainty and that they actually do not know how a number of these things are going to play out. Same business. So you can't predict what's going to happen with so many things as a business owner. Um, but as you say, like a number of people can't deal with that level of uncertainty. So it's almost like I can in, I can take the uncertainty on my shoulders, but the majority of the population needs certainty communicated mm-hmm. because as you say there'll be rights there'll be all the rest of it so it's kind of a lesson that if you want to be able to move forward to higher higher levels of whatever it is you're trying to pursue you need to take on the fact that you can handle uncertainty whereas most people can't mm-hmm. uh, most people need the certainty so he talks about it as one of the seven false leads is the fact that people chase certainty so you shouldn't be chasing certainty there is none you just need to be able to acknowledge that other people might chase it mm-hmm. but for yourself just acknowledge that it's not I really where happiness lies. Start of the COVID stuff when we started getting closer to lockdown time. Obviously, I kind of thought it was coming. I instructed both our teams. Look, this is going to happen. They're ready for it emotionally. Um, but I actually, through COVID, it was one of the first times as a business owner that I felt super fucking relaxed. Mm. Because for once, if some shit went down and I didn't make it through this, it actually generally wasn't my fault. Yeah. Like there was... A huge amount of, like, because there's so much responsibility as a business owner. Yeah. There really is. Like, you feel the weight of it all the time. It's yeah. exhausting, okay? And you just you either you either crumble or you get stronger shoulders and you just hold up more pressure and you, and you get better at it, right? Mm. But it was the first time, and particularly for the first six to eight weeks, I felt so, how relaxed was I? Mm-hmm. I was pretty chilled, man. Really? There was nothing I could do. Mm. We did our best with our clients. If they weren't comfortable to train, I couldn't do anything. Yeah. I would try and put that point forward, but I was like, fuck it, whatever will be, will be, man. Mm. And I had contingencies, I had a plan of how we could maybe get through. I didn't expect any help from anyone. Um, so we had a plan in place to 
I had a base level where we could get through, and I was super relaxed. Yeah, I well, enjoyed that, it. That's actually good. Probably, I'm more stressed now yeah. coming out of it because now the hard work starts again. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> that's a reflection then for you on where your stress lies. It's actually not necessarily the financial um, outcome. Mm. It's more the it's that responsibility thing because yeah. you found it liberating that the yeah. responsibility oh, is sort of not. You're 100 percent on it because yeah. I was like, eh, I can't. Yeah, if it goes fuck now, like I've got yeah. a, I've got a great excuse. Yeah, you know, COVID. Everyone's going to complain about this shit. Mm. Eh. I think it's just actually to the, my point about the most enjoyable time for me being at the BDM level uh, rather than the general manager level. Similar thing, I suppose, in that um, wasn't the financial benefits of being slightly higher in the ladder were not as you know not worth it compared to the increased responsibility. Like it was mm. that trade off that wasn't worth yeah. it. Like there's a um, the cap, that, right? There's yeah, it's it's diminishing returns. Yeah. Just to go back to economics, I think as 20, 2010, uh, I believe it was Princeton. They did a study on happiness compared to um, money. So you need enough money. Having zero dollars a year, that's obviously going to be an issue. Living on the street, like that's you know you got no money. That's you. Get, so it, happiness does increase with money mm-hmm. to a point. And I believe in 2010 it was around seventy five, eighty thousand yeah. dollars American. So you know, let's say it's obviously inflation. It's a bit about hundred. Let's call it hundred. Right? I was going to say I know this study, but I think you probably said it to us at one of our Possibly. <laughs> so I guess the point is, like, up to a certain point, more money does make you happier. Um, you need certain money yeah. for things, but beyond the level, it actually doesn't make you. You don't get the same level of increase. Maybe. Um, and that's and I, I actually think the probably same thing applies. It, it applies to a lot of things. For me, it applied to things like power as well. Mm. So people assume that the more power, the better, but with more power comes, you know, that thing, more power, more responsibility. Yeah. Um, you know, your bigger ego, all the rest of it. It's like, well, there's a trade-off there. And the thing about power that I find really interesting is that a lot of people pursue power for the wrong reasons because they want to then manipulate and dominate and, and that sort of thing. But even the people who pursue it for good reasons, so they're like, and this was in my mind how I looked at it, the higher I get, the more influence I can have and therefore I'll be able to help more people. So that's sort of like the person who wants to be the prime minister for good reasons um, because they want to try and improve the, the country, right? Now, the issue with pursuing power for good reasons is that, okay, let's say um, you get there and you're now in that position of power and you say to people, okay, now I'm the head honcho. What is it you all want me to do with all of this power? Mm. No one knows. Mm. That's the issue. No one actually knows. Everyone's confused. Everyone's got different answers. So then you in this no-win situation um, of, okay, well you think that you're just going to fix everything once you get in the top seat and it doesn't necessarily play out like it so it's that was sort of my my learning with power is it's similar to the money thing it's like more power is better to a point yeah. but then beyond a certain point it's actually diminishing returns where it's more powers actually doesn't not really good i think of a of a really funny sh- uh, for me i had a really funny moment during covid when things were just starting to ramp up lockdowns were coming in we knew it was fucking serious everyone was freaking out and Scott Morrison was out there fronting the news every day. He's dealing with so much shit, right? Mm-hmm. So much stuff is going on yeah. economically, communities. Like, he, he must have had a lot on. And then he had to deal with us fuckwits, yeah. buying all the toilet paper. Yeah. And then having that as a problem. Can you imagine? He must. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I sometimes think, and it could be any letter. So yeah. if you're Liberal Labour, fucking leave yeah. me alone. It could be anyone. Yeah. But, like, I just think about him sometimes sitting down and being like, they're doing what? Mm. They're driving out to country towns and buying all the fucking toilet paper. Are you serious? <laughs> like yeah. he just must he must want to come on stage and go hey Australia what the fuck yeah totally I don't what are you doing you're creating more yeah. issues here man yeah I have to get police to go to a fucking coal store now you idiots mm. like I just yeah. and that's that power part you're like what do you do at that level 
There's too many fuckwits. It takes a it takes a unique brain or personality to be able to, to survive that level. Yeah. In my it takes opinion. a fucking team. That's, yeah. It's not one person. Yeah. It takes true. a team to get through that. Yeah. I, that's probably the one belief that I've held firm or always thought probably every night on the news when I've seen it is not necessarily I agree or disagree with things, but just constantly going, geez, like that would be a tough seat to be in at the moment. And granted, as you say, it's a team. There's a number of people doing a number of things. But if you go left or right, there's critics everywhere. Everywhere, um, man. So, you know, this like, idea of being the king and everyone being happy because you're the good king yeah. doesn't actually... It's, it's not true. It's not, not, not real. Well, like take this for example. Like Jad and I did a podcast about the arts industry because mm-hmm. they didn't get any stimulus at the start of this. Nothing. Mm-hmm. Job keeper. And Jade's sister is a, an actor, actress, actor. I like actor, I don't know what to like. Is an actor. And she was saying, and she was sharing her experience when she had some challenges. She was, had signed a 12 month contract but couldn't get any money because of this has happened now. But they, the company she was working for wouldn't take job, wouldn't get job care, all this kind of stuff. And so as recent as last week, we saw the government initiative 250 million for the arts industry. Now, I know a lot of people in the arts industry. And I was looked at their, their fees during this period. None of them can just be like, that's great. It's like, okay, what about this now? And it just must be so relentless that it, there's so many people out there and it's not a small majority anymore. Mm. It's, it's, it's a large percentage of people that no matter what you fucking do, they're just miserable pricks and they're always going <laughs> to find something else. Yeah. They just are. It's relentless, yeah. Like these people complain, arts and just not get nothing. Turn for me. Oh, well, that time scale, man. What about this and this? Like, yeah. fuck, man. Like, yeah. <laughs> I, I yeah. feel like they've covered every basis almost and people just still have to find something. It's crazy to me. Yeah. That's what you got to ask yourself. Where, where do you want to be in, in this whole game? And I think a lot of people do just climb the ladder because they assume it's without actually analyzing what that's going to look like in that position. The naivety of, oh, you know, being Prime Minister would be cool. It's like, well, I've I don't really think about that. I'd love to be <laughs> I'd love to do with these fuckwits. I'd be so blunt. Uh, well, that makes one of us. I'd love that role. It's all yours. <laughs> but again, to me, leadership comes down to compassion and care, mm-hmm. and, and and leading, and, yeah. and being a leader is being of service. That's it. Yeah, that's, that's all you can do as a leader is be of service. You shouldn't be there for your own self interest. I when, think when people are hurting, yeah. it's your job to hurt more than them to help them. That's that's the job of a leader, not to be like I don't want to be hurt like them, so I got to stay here. Now, as a leader, if your people are hurting, you got to hurt at their level or greater. Like it should fucking kill you. Mm. Come so, alive. So JD, where are you now yes. on your journey? <laughs> yep. Where are you now? Yep. And where like what is your plan for the future? Maybe you don't have a plan. I feel like that's what you're gonna say, like, mm. I don't have mm. plans. You know? <laughs> Empty cup. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, there, there's um uh so it's very early on, like I'm three uh four or so weeks um into going down this path of the new business. Um Okay. The way that happened was um so I told you about one, the first seizure, I actually had a, a second one, oh um, my gosh. Uh, six, six weeks or so ago, roughly. Um, similar, this is before we found out about the headache tablet, right. the migraine tablet, whatever it is. Um, so it wasn't diagnosed at that point. And I got a new, a new neurologist who told me that that's what was, you know, the trigger. Um, and what had happened. Is so, this permanent now? Is this No, it was theoretically if I never have that tablet again because I had the tablet on both occasions. Right. So okay. I've only ever had it twice and both okay. times I had a seizure. I just never put the two together because I had four day long headaches and this is like a really strong wow. one. And so I, I was like, oh, I've had this headache four days, need to knock it out. Bang. And 
Um, but it's funny we talk about people making up stories. I ran into someone on the street and they're like, oh, I heard you were in hospital and you were brain dead or something. I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's a new one. So, yeah, again, lack of communication. Exactly, months. yeah, yeah. Where are you not communicating? Negativity fills the like void. It's crazy. And yeah, this person was not in a, in a similar circle to me as well. I was like, how far has this gone? Yeah. The Chinese Whispers <laughs> is a really, really interesting um, I had experiment. That yeah, so... Um, anyway, that that happened, and um, so Mum lives up at Byron Bay. And mm-hmm. the way this came, the business came about is, I hadn't really been um, moving towards you know attempts number two of this this uh, teen business until so the seizure happened. Mum came down and she took me up to her place in near um, Byron Bay, Bellinger mm-hmm. sort of area, and it was as a result of being there and the lack of everything really like she's on a farm so you know it's quiet being nature all that sort of stuff um that my mind just cleared there was no distractions there was no no anything was i got my sleep back on track and then i basically created the entire business in six days um and it was just flow and i I probably created what would normally have done taken me uh maybe six to nine months in six days i was up at 4am and i was just i was in flow like when i was Mm -hmm. really doing sounds like a reset yeah, and it just and so there's a you know when people talk about things like um, anxiety or things that they get medicated for, I'm firmly of the belief now it's like I'm not saying those things don't exist. Of course they do, but I think it exists for less people than they're probably given um, that medication. And before you go down the path of assuming it's that bit depression or whatever, just make sure it's not a, a lack of sleep, a lack of connection to you know nature. Um, yeah. Lack of connection to family. Purpose, Tick all those yeah. things, those yeah. boxes. If you've got all of those things and you've still got these issues, mm. then look at that. It's kind of like, mm. you know, if you're overweight, like, are you eating well and exercising? And if, you know, if you haven't tried that, maybe give that a go before yeah. you try something else. Yeah. Um, and, if, you know, try that first. So that was something that I found really interesting. So that, that flow happened and um, I was able to create the business and came up with the name, came up with the whole program structure and, and everything. Um, the interesting thing for me is that the previous business was all about financial models, making it work at a big, on a big scale. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, franchising from day one, highly ambitious was the original plan. Um, I just had a moment of a sort of clarity where I thought, you know, what's, what am I actually doing this for? And the idea was that, you know, I can start working with a kid doing free mentoring right now. So why am I not doing that? And I was reading a book at the time called the, um, around a similar time called the Lean Startup, which is about the minimum viable product. So rather than if you're trying to sell lemonade, you don't necessarily have to go out and buy a million dollar factory to make lemonade. You can start selling lemonade on the street um, and build it up. So where it's currently at is I created the whole thing in six days. I'm not really doing any marketing because what I'm doing at the moment is um, free. It's a free service. So I'm just Mm. trying to refine what it is and create the thing before Mm. I'm... So people are like, oh, you know, the, the social media and all those, it's like, mm, it's not really my priority at the moment because I'm not trying to build up a business as such. I'm just trying to help young people um, and then learn myself about what works and what doesn't work. Yeah. Um, and it's very similar to what you guys, um, Denny and Dean, were talking about New Zealand in that when there, the gap in the market, Dean said that um, something along the lines of the problem with the gap in the market is people don't know that they need it. That's been the big issue is that what I know that these will be helpful for these teenagers, um, they don't know that they need. Um, And so that's, you know, what we're sort of trying to work on actually. Can I give you an angle? Yeah, go for it. I know know for men, I've said this to Jade, um, as a a young man, like in my teens and early 20s, I still didn't feel like I belonged in the male adult world, Mm -hmm. right? So what I would have appreciated there is having someone like a mentor to talk to me about that process and... And understanding like 
what it is to be a man. It's not a, a thing of age. Yeah. What is it to be a man? Like the thing I'm very passionate about now with my current team, because at the moment they're all men and they're young men, very young men. And I see them and I, and I know like my purpose with them is to make them into good men and to show them how to be a man because a lot of them don't have that role model. Yeah. So, and for me, I already struggled with that. I remember being a franchise owner. So I would have been 21 at that time when I first became a franchise owner, 21. And I, and I didn't feel, I, I never felt like I belonged in that adult world because mm. I hadn't, like, that's why these tribes have these initiations into, into the adult man because that's, that's it. it. Now that's you're one of us and you know yeah. that. Yeah. But in the modern world, we don't have that. That's right. So yeah. I definitely think there's something mm. to the work that you're doing. Yeah. And maybe if we can refine that, refine that approach and, and teach these young men mm. what it is to be a man. Yeah. And it's not when you're 21 or 18. Mm. Being a man starts now. This is how you be a man. It's about being having integrity. Yeah. Treating people right. Yeah. You know, like, totally agree. And I think there's a lot of misinformation about what happens in that space. There's, um, from a parenting perspective... You know, there's this this idea of oh, I just want my kids to be happy. Mm. Uh, never a more ridiculous <laughs> phrase, and said from a good place, good intentions. Mm. But I mean, happiness is a re- response to um, the external environment of things that happen to. You. Now, why would you want your kid to be happy? You don't want your kid to be happy. Mm. You want them to experience happiness every now and then. But what you actually want is you want them to be develop self discipline. You want yeah. to you want them to experience um, mistakes. I've started using the word mistakes instead of failure because Pain, I believe uh, the only failure is to not not try. Yeah. Mistakes mm-hmm. are just when you are trying but you get something wrong um, and mistakes are correctable. So that's what you actually want for your child, all those things, um, rather than necessarily want them to, be, to happy. be happy. So <laughs> yeah. the idea of the program is to is to create those moments where they're, you know, they're unable to complete something, um, where they're reflecting, um, using that sort of metacognition, um, developing breathing so that they can actually handle themselves when they're in an, you know, an emotional state of yeah, worked man. up and anxiety and depression. So all these sorts of things is um, similar to yourself. So my father wasn't around from a, a similar sort of age, like a 16, 17, which it's no surprise where, where our passions come from. They come from our experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why I've always sort of, and then I worked with schools for a number of years. So I've always kind of been right. interested in that space. Um, I was going to ask you, how did you decide that yeah. group of that so I, age group? I coached at schools. Okay. Um, and then the other thing, sort of being a PT, um, that, uh, you know, was generally targeting, I suppose, people 40 plus mm. um, was where the target market was. There's that sort of frustration for a lot of time where, their malleability to change is less than it would have been when they were 14 compared to 40. And sometimes they'd look at it and go, oh, it would have been, you know, you can sort of highlight to a 14-year-old their belief systems are not necessarily helpful, whereas um, a 40-year-old might not be willing to hear that because they've spent 30 years telling themselves that that that's a fact. (laughs) Hey, man, Um, you need to get in contact (laughs) with uh, Maddie first. Yeah, you didn't listen to Maddie first's podcast, did you? No, yeah, no. no. So Maddie first got an amazing story, Mm. and he's very passionate about actually doing Yeah, I know his story, but I didn't... Yeah, Yeah, but he's he's very passionate about trying Mm. to get back into that, particularly for him, he's closer to the correctional system, and go talking to him about his journey, Mm. but there's so much scope for what you want to do like getting into schools and stuff would be an amazing thing yeah because i think people are very keen to sort of um uh, what's the word we always use it with envision uh like to, to be very passive with what they do they want they want to outsource everything oh sorry. Yeah, so yeah. parents yeah. and particularly schools they would love mm. to outsource how to create yeah. a man yeah like, i would love to outsource that part yeah you and know? So it's sometimes easier to do from an external source because yeah. teachers and and parents, there's a there's a suspicion for a teenager that, oh, they have a you know they're trying to 
control me or trying to whatever mm. it might be whereas just a, a neutral person who is putting things in yeah. front of them there's less suspicion because as we remember teenagers everyone's against you yeah. and yeah. everyone's out <laughs> yeah. to get you and that sort of stuff yeah. so I mean in answer to your question the, the idea is very just working on that minimum um, mm. service and just trying to refine it get feedback and then um, outside of that I've just moved into a a new place. I'm just getting to know oh. the new suburb I'm in in Woolloomooloo, which is cool. Um, and I've got three book clubs at the moment as well. So, <laughs> um, I started a bunch of book clubs with different people on different things. So yeah, I never did that when mm-hmm. I was. I, I tried to do it when I was, um, you know, a business owner. But I found that when I was doing that with staff, again, the suspicion thing. It's like, oh, I have to do mm. it because my boss wants me to be in a book club. So I'll say yes, and it just doesn't work. Yeah. Um, whereas now, you know, they're going really, really well. So yeah. um, different people for different topics. And I find it's the PT sort of philosophy of accountability. If I know I'm going to discuss chapters two and three with mm. someone next Thursday, I do it and I take notes. And, yeah. and the other thing about emptiness is you hear their take on those chapters. And sometimes one of the guys I'm doing book club with had never really read in his, his entire life. So part of my um, ego is like, oh, you know, I'll give my notes and my notes will be the best. And, you know, <laughs> everyone will listen to what I think about the chapter. Yeah. And he would say a couple of things about what he had read. And I was straight away, I was like, oh, sh- shut up, JD. Like, yeah. you idiot. Like, other people have insights mm-hmm. too that you, based on his experiences, would highlight things. And I was like, what page was that? I was like, I did not get that at mm-hmm. all. It's such a good takeaway. So um, I think from a learning perspective, I know they sound lame and book clubs sound like something that you know, old ladies do, but Not if you've all. got people that, you know, who are interested in learning things like that, I, I think it's been the best thing I've done in the last six months. It's really... But it also adds to your, your development as well, and I think yeah. why you'd be so good working with the youths, because I'm sure you've experienced it as well, but as young men and teenagers, we experience so much, um, not necessarily anxiety, but self-doubt. When, like, any, it's, it's not okay to show weakness, but, you know, and, and now I think... Kids probably show too much weakness. Yeah. I think there's, I think these younger male children in particular, I'm sure females as well, but younger male children mm. need to be reassured and say, hey, it's okay that you feel insecure. Yeah. It's, it, it, it's okay. You're just learning, man. Mm. It's okay, bro. It's going to go away. Yeah. And I, everyone in here feels insecure about something. Yeah. It's not just you. And that's soft out. Everyone's got that, but just trust your instincts. Like mm. those conversations, like, like my dad was, was awesome, he was around, but I never felt comfortable to, and I was still probably, we're probably gotten better as we've gotten older, to have that conversation, where I could go to my dad and be like, hey, dad, I'm feeling really insecure. Yeah. I, wouldn't ha- I wouldn't have the vocabulary or the words even back then to say that. Mm. I just felt. Yeah, you and felt I just, didn't have any I was quiet with it and I just felt that, you know what yeah. I mean? Mm. But if I had someone that I could really yeah. share that and work it out, so I think it would help me develop faster. Mm. Yeah. Like I'm here as a 34 year old. I probably could have been here as a 24-year-old. Yeah. Not necessarily faster, but maybe just differently. I want, I don't even want to say the word better, but just differently as well, you maybe. know? Maybe. Yeah. yeah. This might sound a bit clinical, but... Um, <laughs> I like clinical. With, <laughs> will you be following, like, let's say you've got like a 15-year-old boy that comes sure. in and yep. you start mentoring him or whatever the case may be for five years, do you then follow him up at like 25 is it is it that is that kind of within yeah so two things come to mind in that question the first um there's a there's the philosophy (laughs) behind um the answer to that is Mm. there's a coach um amos alonzo stag who is basically uh, one of the greatest sports coaches in in history Mm -hmm. um he was asked this this is many many years ago 30 40 50 years ago um after the game you know what did you think of your 
what did you think of your team? They just won a national championship. What did you think of your team? And he says, um, I'll let you know in 20 years' time. Wow. So I think that's powerful. And that's the, that's the idea behind it. It's like, sure, you know, working with a child, you know, they might do better in that's their, their awesome. exams, okay, yeah. in the short term. Yeah. Or they might be a, become a faster runner. Right. Or they might become a better reader. Or you might develop more integrity. Whatever. But ultimately, it's not just about that short-term thing. It's about, you know, that... Right. That's so fucking deep, JD. Yeah. When, deep, when I saw man. that, I was like, no wonder he was that's, arguably that's the great. greatest coach in history. If you, if you So he was him. about creating men, not just basketball players. That's it. Like. Yeah, he was one of the first to have that philosophy. Toward, and a number of coaches have a similar philosophy around, you know, student-athletes and developing that. Well, did you hear um, about uh, Michael Jordan's coach? Uh, Phil Jackson? No, no, no. Oh. From college. Oh, okay. Yep. So he passed away in 2016. And... He was always known as someone who really valued his his team as people, right? Yep. Yes, it was about the sport and it was going to make them better. Mm-hmm. And so he really valued them. And he left in his will to 180 players a $200 check to have dinner with him. Wow. In his, in his honor. Yeah, yeah. Because he wanted, he was, it was about them mm-hmm. becoming men. It wasn't just about the, the basketball for him, you know? Yeah. He really respected them as men and he yeah. wanted them to know that. That's, yeah, I think that stuff's powerful. And yeah. for me, that gives you, you know, your reactions to the way I think. That too gives me the tingle, that concept of what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, the second part, um, I guess more clinical, literal part yeah. of that answer of what happens, you know, when they, they get past 18 sort of thing, uh, or 20 and they go on their ways, um, there's, a, there's a belief, um, or not a belief, there was a saying called each one teach one, which, which basically, um, it actually started in the cotton picking fields um, back in the days of slavery, which is because... Um, um, you know the, the the slaves weren't given education. The idea was that if you learn something, yeah, weren't allowed. Um, if you learn something, then it's your responsibility to, to pass, pass it, it down. So what I think is really powerful, and I think that when people become coaches or trainers or anything like that, you instantly improve your own personal standards of behaviour. Mm. So if you become a, a, a coach, I know that when I became a coach, you become a role model you just become that much better as a human being because you know that people are looking at you and that you're trying to be a better person. Um, So my idea, like ideally what would be incredible is that these people spend two or three years, um, you know, as teenagers, but then when they get to 19, 20, 21, they come back to the business and their mentors themselves having spent three or four years in it. That each one, teacher one's like, oh, I was here for three or four years. I know what it's like. Because that's going to ultimately be more powerful hearing from them um, mm. so if it becomes a business then that just becomes you know its own re- endless recruitment yeah. cycle yeah. Um, and that would be a great thing if people want to come back um, and even if it's you it's know name, it turns it? into a like, charity uh, layered marketing or something isn't that the form of business that that it's, it's kind of like a circular economy kind of yeah it's just constantly it's just, yeah. yeah they just keep coming yeah. um, but if it goes down the charity path which is certainly possible too um then you've still got those people wanting to, to give back and mentor. Mm. Um, and that just, would be amazing. Yeah, I think it's it would give... And if they, the young guys, as you talk about, if you're a 19, 20-year-old guy and you haven't got much purpose in life, mentoring a 13-year-old yeah. is going to... It's going to start to give you that purpose. Yeah. There's a saying, you know, if you're... Um, uh, the best way to find yourself is to... Um, get lost in the service of others or something along those lines so if whenever you and I found that truth myself whenever I don't know what to do so I haven't known how to start this business really so I thought I'll just start doing some free mentoring because then it will come to me Um, and yeah on your point about that that check that was interesting um, the the, the coach Mm. Michael Jordan's thing which is sort of similar it's $36,000 in total if anyone wants to know either of that wow so well, it's funny you talk about you know my career path and you know, achievements of this job and that job and moving up the ladder. 
reflecting today on what was I find most satisfying about that whole 10 year process and what I'm most proud of as an achievement was that, um, you know, recently a lot of those long-term trainers um, organized the surprise, um, uh, like farewell for me after I, you know, left yeah. the business. Um, and for me, that was like as much of a um, satisfying achievement for me in that these guys no longer working with the business or anything like that, but put on um, that event for me, taking time out of their own time, um, you know, for a former employee, which is not necessarily the sort of thing most people would do. Most people leave business five years ago. They're not going to be like, hey, do you want to come for a surprise, a farewell thank you for a former boss from five years ago? Most people probably wouldn't do that. So I find that weird, eh? Yeah, it was. Why, I love why, that. Do, you, why do you think they did that for you, though? Well, that's. I mean, I think one or two of them probably felt obligated, <laughs> but I think the ones who organised it um, were probably, you know, um, it was something always I tried to do was always the farewells and um, you know the gifts on departure and that sort of stuff. So I think some of them wanted to give back from that perspective, and it was it was the most fun. Yeah, it was. Such well, especially a great you, you're you're the person as you 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 say you're an introvert by nature. So when you when you exit the business, you probably just want to sneak away quietly. Yeah, you know I did. Yeah. <laughs> kind of, yeah. I get well, it was great timing because COVID was there, and I was like, oh, I'll just slip out, and yeah. you know, that's pretty much the end of it. So, yeah. Um, yeah anyway, that's that's the goal hmm. with how the where I'm. Are at we allowed to know the name? Yeah, he already said it. Oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, so it's called H3. Oh, okay. I missed that. Again, it's brand new, so could have a different name next week, which stands for Head, Hands, and Heart. The idea is there's three different parts of the business. Head, Hands, and Heart. So it's three parts. There's a 60-minute session. I think it's fantastic, man. I hope you can find a way to really monetize that for you because I think it's important. Yeah. Well, the other thing is, yeah, anyway, I'll come back to the monetize part. But, yeah, so the idea behind the head stuff is developing... I guess that neuroplasticity of the brain, which is identify that a thought is a thought, and there's a um, the idea of acknowledging what um, what thought processes you have. So something happens, you automatically think this. Okay, so your mum come home, mum come home, mum comes home, and you immediately think, oh, that's a bad thing because A, B, C, and we all do that. So mm-hmm. oh, there's traffic. Oh, immediately we have this um, this yeah, process in our mind of what's what that it's about. So trying to use the plasticity of the brain at that age to actually stop, think, and actually like, create yeah. something different is the first sort of Terrible. part of the session, which is about stopping, pausing, slowing down, because they've come from school, they're emotional, they've had a fight, they've been bullied, whatever it might yeah. be. It's trying to separate the thoughts, um, you know, separate themselves from a thought. Like you said, you know, you would be emotional and whatever. I would have loved yeah. something like this as a kid. Yeah, well, it's funny, because we think that now. I used to get into so now. many yeah. fights in yeah. high school yeah. over the dumbest shit. Like, yeah. it was just... if someone. you were... Um, a very good person you didn't give any trouble to the teachers oh, okay. <laughs> but if someone fucked with me but yeah i can I'd imagine to, like, i didn't always win those fights yeah but yeah. um like if i for, for me i always got into in trouble right and this is where i needed i needed a mentor to help me understand other people so i wouldn't just fight because i it was never me that was necessarily getting picked on yeah but if i if i felt like jade had done something wrong by you i'd be like hey jade get back in line like if it was a handball line and they sure. cheated and they got in front I'm like no get the fuck to the yeah. back yeah. So I was getting into fights with other people. Yeah. And I stood that to this day. That's I like that. Because I'm not like that. I would have just sat there climbing nah, and you're an you know, that the, the scary thing is uh, having that, because I do think mm. that's a trait of mine, yeah. trying to defend people. Mm. But as an adult now It's courageous. Yeah. As an adult, it's scary because I can get fucked mm. up. Yeah. And it's gotten to the point now where like I need to go learn some martial arts because if I need to choke and break someone's neck, I wanna know how to do that shit. Yeah. Because I also think, I also think by me knowing how to fuck someone up will make me a lot nicer. 
Because well, I'll put up with more because I know I can break your hand. This It's funny you say that, again, because there's a... The, men are confused at the moment because it's like, where do I play in this um, this space of masculinity yeah. and what's acceptable, what's not? Um, you know, there's so many movies about, you know, women wanting the dominant male if they like him. Yeah. Um, if they don't like him, it's abusive. If they like him, yeah. it's, it's romantic yeah. or it's attractive. It's hot, yeah. So it's hot, yeah. So it's confusing. But to your point, um, I think it's Jordan Peterson talks about you want to be the, the monster who doesn't act who doesn't exactly who holds right. it back so that's exactly, exactly what you said it's like you've got the sword you can use it but you choose not yes. to if you just got haven't got the sword you're just a wimp you know people exactly. can but people know that you've got the sword you're just choosing to not use it that's yeah. virtuous and 100%. i think that's exactly the point where men should try to aim it's like yeah. they've got the ability to stand up and they've got the backbone yeah. and, and you know not be treated poorly but they won't just they're not on a wild spree yeah. of, of causing that sort of because um, i think there's also a lot of lessons to be learnt in bullying yeah. right so like I'll give you an example of what happened to me, but you can also use that as a, as a teaching lesson for someone. So I tell this story all the time because this lesson that I got from this one person has changed how my my how I interact with everyone ever since then, since I was like nine years old. So when I was nine years old, I used to walk to primary school one way and the opposite way, this high school kid would be walking past me. I thought it was big. He must have been year seven, some Asian dude, right? So he must have been year seven, year eight, nothing more than that. But every morning I used to eyeball him. Mm-hmm. Like, fuck you, motherfucker. Like, I wouldn't say anything, but just eyeballing, like, mean scaling, you know? Every morning. Just because, as a boy, you're trying to be tough, you know? So every morning I did this to him, and I knew it was annoying him. And one day, because I was, I was tiny, one day he just grabbed me, raggled me to the, to the floor, and, says, and said, stop fucking doing that. And I was like, message received, got it. <laughs> if I keep staying people out, it's going to lead to arguments. Yeah. And so I could have seen that as bullying, and mm-hmm. gone to my mum, and got my mum to come meet him. But right then and there, in the truth of it, I knew what had happened. I'd been yeah. a dick, mm. and someone put me in my place. And I mm. learned a lesson that day, mm. that at any time there's someone that can put you into that place. And I think that's a lesson that people need to learn these days. Yeah. I think some bullying is important. Yeah, it's going to happen. I, I do. You're going to be fully protected. You know, the because if you're getting place, bullied, yeah. it's for a reason. It's either because mm. you're a dickhead, you're annoying other people, or something. <laughs> it's very rare that some people just get bu- I'm sure it happens, yeah. but that's rare. Mm-hmm. Bullying usually happens because you're annoying someone or being just weird. Yeah, it, I think yeah. For the most part, I tend to agree with that. Yeah. I, I do also think there would be some There's instances different where there can obviously yes. be a couple of instances where that doesn't happen. Uh, and it's okay. just purely the kid. I feel like <laughs> a bit. No, no, no. Yeah, I take your point. But I, I took understand. a lesson from yeah. bullying. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And even if it is, I did. If I reflected. The kid like, hasn't done anything um, in particular. Then it's how it's having that experience to deal with it. Yeah. And and what that creates. Um. Mm. And the other two H's just to finish off yes. the H three. So you've yes. got the head part. Yeah. Um. Hands and heart. So hands is the physical. So it's the Olympics. It's training, effectively. Right. It's exercise. Um, so it's not necessarily to create, um, you know, an Olympic athlete. Yeah. Um, it's about creating foundation of exercise, mm. um, foundation movements. It's not Very doing anything crazy. Yeah. You know, yeah. you see so many people who just it's, can't do the basics and they yeah. get into their um, adult life. And so much of the PE and sports system at school is around playing soccer, but never been shown how to do a squat, for example. Yeah. Um, like, and that's it's mm. just teaching kids, not necessarily exercise for the purpose of exercise, but I think particularly as you get older, it can become a healthy coping mechanism that mm. I, I envisage what this business will largely target will be a number of kids who are going through exam stress, social stress, that sort of thing, and then utilizing exercise as a, as yeah. a drug, so to speak, as yeah. a way to actually 
let you know sort of soothe themselves and feel better and release some healthy brain chemicals is a good thing and then the last part is um heart which is around breathing meditation so the idea is you work yourself up over the course of the session but then the last part is to bring your heart rate down to focus on breathing to learn different techniques there because again i think that's a life skill that if you can develop and i'm only new to it it's only mm-hmm. not something i utilized until more recently until it's become more reflective mm-hmm. and people had someone had said to me you know learning meditation is important and should be it's part great, of physical yeah. training say three years ago it's i would have been amazing. like eh. but now yeah. like it's i it's so you start to try it and that's where creativity comes from mm-hmm. you know so many good things can come from it and it's as simple as you think about how often we eat during a day which might be four five six times a day yeah. right and we all talk about nutrition all the time how often do we breathe during the day and no one really studies it, do yeah. they? No one studies it. We just we just all assume, oh yeah, breathing's breathing. There's nothing but if anyone it. does study, we think they're crazy. Crazy, yeah. Oh, you know, <laughs> Wim Hof, he's, he's, yeah. he's a wacky. It's Wim like, is wacky. But... There are better ways to breathe yeah. than others. And I think it should be something that's, you know, it it's already has been studied. And there's um there's a, a book called The Oxygen Advantage for those who sort of want to learn a bit more about it. But the ability to, you know, get oxygen into your system and how you, mm. you know, utilize... um carbon dioxide i'm someone who's slept like with my mouth wide open for a number of years and what that impact has and um just learning about that sort of stuff is is really interesting i think um and it just helps again with your self-awareness and when you start to breathe and bring into yourself so the idea is to work across those there's a fourth h which is doing the home reflectiveness Mm -hmm. um because during the week when you're not training you want you know to networking amongst the others but also to be um uh, reading, you know, things like we talk about mm. emptiness and mm. so on. Journals. Um, journaling is, is part and of that. That's again, we, we teach women it's okay to journal. Yeah, minutes. Mo- most yeah. most yeah. females yeah. I've ever known or met have done a journal at some stage that's in their life. Yeah. I never have. Yeah. yeah. So that's something I've been doing, yeah, as well in the yeah. last um, six months, which you talk again about being reflective. I yeah. think that process has helped with it. Mm. And it's, I don't know, I think there's a misconception about what journaling is. It's about, people think it's about writing down some person you've got a crush on. And it's not necessarily that. It can be things that went well in that day or things you wanted to achieve or things you didn't achieve or things you could have done better or a conversation you could have handled better. If we're giving out things for people to try, there's a great app from, I think it's Brian Tracy called Goals Visit. Hmm? That thing, have you looked into it before? No, not that Have a look into it. I think you'll love it because it gives you prompts. It gives you these questions that you check in in the morning. What do you want to focus on? What do you want to do? You do a midday check-in. You do an evening check It's like really simple stuff, Mm. but it's all that reflective like you, I hadn't, I haven't got back into routine post COVID to be honest. But prior to that, I was doing it every day. Yeah. I do my pre, so every morning I've gotten back into that one now where I do my priming sequence. I got that from Tony Robbins. Yep. Pump myself up, do all that kind of stuff. It's a lot of breathing work. Yep. And it's really valuable. It's yeah. really valuable. Yeah. You know. Mm. I was just trying to think of a good intro for you. If you're going to be in front of a bunch of kids, yeah, you should well, use. It's okay. We're only wait, four wait, wait. weeks in. We'll get there. But you should, you should use. No, I'm not finished yet. You can take over. You should use one of the scenes from Billions. You know when she's doing the psychiatric work for the yeah. the oh, brokers, yeah. and she pumps them oh, up, yeah, yeah, yeah. and she gets some jib to go to make a billion dollars. It's like that. But that's what you're going to be doing. Yeah. You know, these people are self doubting. They're struggling. Yeah. They can't make decisions. They made really poor choices all week, and she tells them, "You got this. Yeah. It's okay. Hey." Didn't she make $2 billion last year? Huh? Yeah, yeah. Who's the man? Yeah. Yeah. And they just fucking pop up and they get that back out on the floor again. Might you know? see if she's available. Yeah. Well, Wendy, right? As you were talking, Wendy, yeah. I thought of an idea with your H's. Yeah. For Bit your, just take for all your, free for your idea, guys. Future, um, your future business model, which is, so you know how you said the hands and then the heart? Yes. Yep. Well, I was thinking like if the guys come back, mm-hmm. like when they're 20, 25, whatever, 
then it can be like hand on heart, which is like service. Oh, yeah. So it's like returning yeah. the service. Yeah. That was my just, idea. <laughs> <laughs> How good is this thing? <laughs> I'll just keep coming back. I don't even need to do a podcast. Just pretend to turn the microphone <laughs> on and just yeah, come up with some ideas. Sorry, keep <laughs> on. No, 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 no. It was good. Is there anything else you'd like to share from that? Um, no, not no. that's on. If I've hopefully answered some of your... Yeah, man. This you was, know the journey now? And you are very... A a I found this... I still want to share my, my last conversation okay. with JD. Oh, okay. Yes, go for it. Go so for my it. last conversation was just before I met you, actually. Yeah. I think <laughs> it would have been a few months before I met you. Yeah. Maybe a little bit more. But we're at the... We're at Rosebury at the... Whatever it is. The oh, yeah. There is there. Yeah, I remember that. I think it was me, you, Mario yep. as well. Can't remember who someone from HQ was there. At the studio or the distillery? At the distillery. Ah, I remember. We're having a drink, right? Yeah, yeah, okay. (laughs) And I was obviously quite fresh into that dating world. I've been dating for like 18 months, maybe. And I was telling you about this chick I was dating. I was like, man, this girl, she's this, this, she's crazy, blah, blah, blah. And you and Mario were just like, well, fucking just let it go, man. Move on, you know? What are you doing? And we're having this conversation. like, nah, but you know, blah, blah, blah. Thankfully, a lot of that stuff eventually sunk in. I got to meet my beautiful wife here. Oh, I got out of that relationship. So, oh, so, so it wasn't me. It wasn't you. You oh. were the crazy Yeah, one. I wanted to clarify that. I was like, oh. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> so it, we were right. It wasn't, it wasn't JD. Gotcha. <laughs> so Mario and I were right and moved on. 100%. That one, yeah, that man. One. And ever since then, like some, some clients uh, had known her. They are like, oh yeah, she was crazy. I'm like, the fuck did you say anything to me? There's <laughs> that old saying, you can't make the right one if you're busy with the wrong one. So, but again, I was open to the criticism though. Yeah. There would have been a time where I would have been like, hey, fuck you, you don't know what you're yeah. talking about. Yeah. You know? I was open to I it. dare say it, had a, it sounds like I had a couple of drinks, I wasn't afraid to speak. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, possibly. Maybe, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not good or bad. Maybe. Oh, cool, man. Well, look. Thank you so much for joining, babe. Do you want to ask Jodie anything uh, before we finish up? No, this is, it was just, it's been very inspiring and very um, refreshing all of the stories that you've shared is there a way to like working with this guy imagine him yeah. three years ago he was a bit, a bit less evolved but you could see that potential in him yeah. and I see that potential in, in, in this day like yeah. I just know you're a, a genuine person and I really hope that this is as successful as you want it to be mm. you know if that's just helping four people Thanks, and that's yeah. great Yeah. I really miss having you in, in our network I think you brought a lot of great qualities and hopefully you know, if I get brave enough, maybe I can step up and, and bring some of that back into that ne- into the network for us again. And um, but thank you, man. You've always been a man of integrity. So thanks, thank guys. Appreciate it, and thanks for inviting me on. It's given me the opportunity to to reflect. Yeah. It's been a bit of a thing tonight, which things I haven't really thought about in years, actually. So You're thinking always about welcome, the man. journey has actually made me sort of think more about. Do you get inspired? That's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. It's good it's luck. Very, it's very good luck with the show. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, awesome. thanks, thanks guys. Thanks, everyone.